Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. We're back. You just We're heard back, a new baby. theme song from our friend Will. Thank you so much, Will. Thank you, Will. It's awesome. It's so good. Yeah, I, I've been humming it ever since they first sent it over. Uh, it's it's so exciting. It's so exciting to have a new theme song. Yeah, I I, I really loved our original, and we we somewhat infamously changed the theme for a brief window of time in season two and everyone was like why is it Christmassy so I feel like we've been kind of trepidatious to change it again yeah. but it just felt like time to get like our own original theme yeah and Will did incredible so yeah. yeah thank you so much Will you can find their work uh down in the show notes um I will say our old theme song love it to death but it sure was a thing I think I paid $15 for from a sound library and I have heard it in like ads for podcasts before yeah the music we used to use for every bonus I have heard in a PayPal commercial so we gotta <laughs> we gotta change something before it becomes too corporate yeah yeah so it, very very happy to have new music we have new art from Scout which we shouted out in the Dreamcast thank episode you, thank you again to scout for that uh all in all just excited to be back me too it's been it's been kind of weird like people keep asking like how has the hiatus been and it didn't really feel like a break until the last few weeks because like we yeah. were, like everything was like out of order in time in terms of when we were recording what and when it came out right but not having this as a weekly ritual like i'm glad we took some time off but i really missed it i really missed like spending this time with you i kind of felt it felt weird not doing it to be yeah. honest yeah after what five years of having a pretty like baked in routine for sunday like it's really nice to just wake up on, we record on sundays it was really nice to just wake up on sundays and immediately know exactly what i'm going to do that day without yeah. to, like plan or schedule or anything I will say, I mean, what was it? So we, we recorded the Dreamcast episode a month ago today, just about. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's that been like sitting and waiting for kind of a while to get released because we we had always earmarked August 2nd as the release date for that. But what that really meant was that you and I were playing Dreamcast stuff for the show technically up until a month ago. So really, it was like July was our month off. You know, like June was mostly focused on the Dreamcast. We just weren't recording episodes. But July was really like the episodes recorded and we have a month off to like kind of do whatever. And that's been a really interesting experience because like having Sundays to like go to the beach or something has been nice definitely but uh I, I have been itching to come back and record and as you can probably tell I'm just gonna say I'm just gonna call it here from the very long runtime of this episode we have a lot of games to talk about because these are all the games that we have been playing in our break <laughs> yeah it's uh, not even did... all of them we actually just spent like 20 minutes before we started recording cutting games out of this list honorable mention to Pac-Man I did play a little bit of Pac-Man <laughs> In our summer break, it was a lot of Yo, fun. Yo, shout out to Pac-Man. Namco Museum Archives Volume 1. It's a wow. nice collection. Yeah. Got Dig Dug in there as well. Uh, Tower of Druaga. It's pretty good. I'll, I'll shout out We Love Katamari, another Namco yes. game that I played. Uh, that's that, now the, on Switch. The remaster on Switch, right? Yeah, it's very good. It's better than the first one. We have a list of games here, so we're going to break this up. Uh, the first section is games that I have played during our summer break. The next section is games you have played singularly during our summer break. Yes. And then the rest of the episode is games we've both played. Games we have played. <laughs> exactly. Wow. You, me, and we. You, um, me, and we. Oh, wow. Is that the episode title? <laughs> I just assumed it was going to be summer Maybe. book report, but uh, you, me, and we is pretty good. I also just want to say really quick before we move on, I want to thank everyone for the kind reception to the Dreamcast episode. Yeah. That's our third console episode and we always put a lot of work into them so like 
the first feeling when it goes out is like, I don't even want to think about it anymore in a good way. So like, yeah, I kind of tune out like whatever's happening on social media when we share that. But I think now that we've all rested and like processed, like, okay, we did that onward and upward. It's been really cool to see the positive reception to it. Like, I think we're all really proud of that episode. It was such a cool experience to explore that library. So just thank you all for giving us the confidence to like take on stuff like that and, and for enjoying that episode. I'm, I'm really happy that it worked for people. Yeah, yeah. The the response to just like not even that episode, but just us being back, I think has been really humbling and cool. Yeah. You know, I think just like people excited that that we that we have returned from our break uh, is very cool. And honestly, I as much as I was excited to get that episode out, I've been looking forward to this episode even more. Just like just the first regular episode. Yeah, yeah. I agree. It's been it's been uh, exciting in the lead up again because we have 100,000 games to talk about. But also I just like <laughs> I just feel like there's so much to talk about. Like there's so much stuff that I've just been like holding inside waiting oh, to yeah. release, you know, uh, yeah, which is yeah, th- exhilarating. During our break, a new Final Fantasy came out. So so like that and that's the, that's like maybe the fifth most exciting thing that has happened. <laughs> Yeah, um, I can't wait to talk about that. Wow, anything else we should shout out before we start here? No, I'm just I'm excited to be back. Let's just do it. Yeah, let's let's just do it. Yeah, don't belabor the point, Bigly. Just just start talking about. <laughs> okay, actually, this is you. This is your section first. Uh, Me? Yeah, so let's let's jump into the stuff that you, Stephen have been playing during the break it's been interesting to see like how my gaming habits have changed when there's like a little bit less pressure i was about to ask Um, about this yes yeah i i feel like overall not that much i think the biggest thing is that i had more time to just play something without having to think like is this a new game or a game i haven't played before like Mm -hmm. kind of falling back into persona 4 golden like I i had started that last year and i hadn't played i had played original p4 but not golden and i've gotten to like the summertime and then took a long break and then going back to it and resuming from summertime in the summer was so fun so like having a game that i can kind of just like fall into without having to think about like what is new just sort of enjoy it and not like uh have to formulate an opinion about it yeah but even with that i'm still talking to my friends about what i'm playing and they're getting what you would get basically <laughs> but uh I'm mostly just like trying to keep my curiosity alive and like I, I i still have a pretty baked in instinct to check out new things so i think like this show has kind of changed me for good in that sense yeah i'll i'll say uh on on my on my end is that i haven't changed that much in that i still am just playing everything that's new always <laughs> which is what i was doing before we were making the show and it's probably what i'll continue doing after the show is over one day i just feel like that that's always been kind of my thing but i i did find myself going back to things a lot more than i was expecting in 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 the same vein which has been honestly really nice yeah so here's my first game uh this is called age of wonders 4 uh it's by a studio called triumph studios this game was on a list every now and then like around this time of year i'll check like ign or GameSpot. they'll do like a roundup like here are the best reviewed games of the year so far mm. and this is one of them i had never heard of it i didn't know what the series was it's essentially like very similar to civilization but it's high fantasy so when you make your civilization you choose not only like are you a civilization of humans or orcs or elves but you also choose like what is your society like is it industrious are you like explorers like looking for a new frontier are you all like really old mages that like know the truth of the universe so like it's really fun that you get to choose like like you can be a society of orcs that are like old mages yeah kind of like 
switch it up a little bit that way you're not like stuck into one thing i'm doing a surprisingly boring thing i'm i'm playing as humans that are super industrious but also extremely diplomatic so it's sort of like a a less problematic version of oregon trail i feel (laughs) um but like i kind of like this idea of being like a newcomer to this world yeah that's a really cool idea and the big thing that makes it really interesting to me is like not only do you have that and you also choose like who is like the hero of your civilization so you can choose like their character traits as well it's a little bit warcraft 3-esque in that way but similar to i forgot the term for it but there there's a board game that you and i played that's like this when you finish a campaign that actually like sticks around for the next game so yes. as you play you're building the history of this world it's the best shit in the world yeah and it's really like i will say it's a little like age of wonders 4 is a little bit hard to parse sometimes like, there's a lot of systems a lot of rules but i think if you're like if you have played civilization i think you, you can pretty much meet this game where it's at mm. and the really cool thing is that when you get into battles it will show you kind of like so like fire emblem like before you commit to battling it will show you like what your odds are yeah and you can either just let the battle play out and essentially roll the dice or you can like battle manually and it will become like a turn-based strategy game where you're like moving people around and using ability so if like if there's a battle where it's like your odds are 50 50 and you're confident enough in your ability to play the game you might just be like screw it i'm gonna actually go in and fight that's cool that's very much how the total war games worked also the, yeah. to- the total war games although a lot of the focus of the marketing of those games was on the like you can zoom into each individual person on the battlefield and whatever that game also allowed you to just kind of sit back and say like i don't i don't need to engage in this combat like we're just gonna crush them you know just kind of do it yourself or you could go in and meticulously try and figure out how to like be napoleon in real time <laughs> if you wanted to <laughs> but yeah this game it feels a lot like civ 5 specifically which i think is probably my favorite hey. civilization okay because there's a lot of like New, there are other you know kingdoms and and civilizations but there are also like in the beginning neutral city states yeah that you can like befriend and then eventually annex if you want to and then you'll get like another champion so like my like industrial uh ideal democracy is like weirdly buds with like the evil mages <laughs> so like we also just have like a city state there and like uh I, i'm not super far in like i haven't finished the first campaign i definitely want to see like how that feels like how does influencing the history of this world's like factor into the game mm-hmm. but it's really fun it's really fun on steam deck i was about it's to ask of, you're playing on steam deck i'm playing on steam deck cool. and uh I, th- I think it's only pc currently let me actually double check it sounds like a game that would be pc only actually it looks like it's on ps5 and xbox too oh shit yeah i would highly recommend it i feel like it uh, i don't I haven't seen much buzz around it at all. And I think it's really cool. So if you're if you're a fan of like that type of game, I think it's a must. Yeah. Yeah. You you briefly mentioned this to me during the break. Yeah. And I was like, that sounds very interesting. But I mean, hearing that, I think I really, really want to play this. Did it come out this year? Yeah. Uh, wow. Let me let me double check. It came out in May. So actually not that long ago. Oh, my God. Wow. Age of Wonders 4. I am Age of Wonders 4. I'm going to play that because honestly, well, one of the things that's really been bothering me, I don't want to say bothering. That sounds like I'm being like a weird entitled fanboy, but like the, <laughs> the Age of Empires team has been working so hard on like bringing Age of Empires back. They have Age of Empires 4, which is cool and great. It's like I'm glad that exists. They took Age of Empires 2 and re-released it as like a definitive edition. It's on Game Pass and consoles and stuff. Still very cool. I'm just like, give me Age of Mythology. Like that's the game that I loved so much as a kid. And I feel like this 
might scratch that itch a little bit specifically you mentioning that it feels the most like civ 5 of all the civilization games like that that plus i think this like historical world building thing that's happening uh kind of like wildermyth it was like one of my favorite parts of wildermyth also i think really enticing to me it kind of reminds me like it has elements of wildermyth too with this sort of like procedural aspect of it yeah and also like i like the idea of you know, having your leader like just on the battlefields, mm-hmm. you know, again, like Warcraft three had that like hero system. Yes. But um, I think you would love this game. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to play that. Another game I played recently that I think also came out. It came out in June, so also somewhat recent. Wow. It's 20 Minutes Till Dawn. Uh, this is developed by uh, Flan, I believe. And it is essentially one of many vampire survivors. Uh, I don't want to say clones, but it's very much going after vampire survivors a va- a vamp a vampy survey like <laughs> how about that oh it's kind of like a That'll vampy pick up, survivey right? <laughs> yeah that's gonna that's gonna really take off i mean if go toy can take off who the hell knows? <laughs> it's true this is interesting this is an interesting i think realm of video games right now are are the the vampire survivors uh alikes i i was listening to I think it was Bad End. I think I think the Bad End podcast recently did an episode where they were talking a little bit about the like rise of vampire survivors likes um, and specifically how a lot of them aren't really getting their due specifically because a lot of people are looking at them being like, oh, this is just a rip off of vampire survivors when in fact vampire survivors is like an obviously great game. A lot of people really like it. And I know I remember what I why I'm excited to hear you talk about this is I know that you didn't connect with vampire survivors, I think, as much as a lot of people did, or at least a lot of people in our circle. Yeah, I connected with it a lot, but there is a lot of acknowledgement also on my end that there is the possibility for that genre to improve, which is what the bad end guys were talking about specifically is like a lot of people have taken what Vampire Survivors is and pushed it further. And it, from what I've heard of this game, it sounds like they have done that. Yeah, I to be clear, like I liked Vampire Survivors, but I just everyone I knew was like, I can't stop playing it. I have like 100 hours in it. And I <laughs> and I just yeah, I always thought it was like fun, but I, I never got to that point that I didn't really know why. Mm-hmm. But 20 Minutes Till Dawn had, had been getting some buzz. And I do think aesthetically I prefer it. Like I, I think it's Vampire Survivors has that charm of like clearly using a lot of like available assets from like Castlevania and stuff. Yeah. The aesthetic of 20 Minutes Till Dawn, it's like notably like three or four colors. It's like red, dark, kind of greenish blue and white. Um, and that makes things kind of stand out way more, in my opinion. Mm. And the biggest distinction I would say is whereas Vampire Survivors is kind of like an auto battler, like all you can do is move this game. You actually can aim and shoot. So it has a little bit more of like a twin stick feel to mm, it. Yeah. Which I think I prefer, to be honest. I mean, it's it's different. I don't think one is better than the other. But I just think for this type of game, I like that level of involvement a little bit more. Yeah. And that might be enough for me to like get like I think I'm this game is helping me kind of get what I missed in a clearer way. I also think that there's a lot more characters and they all have very distinct feels. So like the first character you get, she can essentially every few upgrades re-roll what she has gotten so you can kind of like customize your build as you play cool there's another character who looks very much like uh, princess mononoke and she just turns into an invincible deer every 30 seconds that can just like run around the map and i don't know i just i i haven't played a ton of it but i i just like i think i see more visibly what 
options I can like unlock and invest in. Like they show you pretty clearly, like here's the full roster of characters. Here's all the different weapons you can unlock. So you can kind of like mix and match weapons with characters. And the aesthetic is kind of like Western Lovecraft a little bit. Uh, I will say the enemy variety is a little bit lacking, at least early on, but I've had a lot of fun with it. And similar to Vampire Survivors, every every like run is a half hour. So it's not 20 it's very minutes. Much, oh, maybe it's it's around there. I, I can't remember exactly, but you have to survive for. Oh, it is 20 minutes. It's in the title. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That was that was my that was my thought. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is 20 minutes. Um. So, yeah, it's 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 a it's a really fun game. I'm, I'll be curious to see what you think of it, given that you did connect with Vampire Survivors. Um. I wonder if it will feel less than or if it will like feel different enough that you'll enjoy it. Yeah. My thing with Vampire Survivors, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I unlocked, I think all of the stages but i don't i didn't get as deep into the game i think as a lot of our friends specifically uh there's so much to unlock in that game and there are so many different challenges and characters and everything and vampire survivors like and and they just continue to add more stuff to it also like it's been getting updates left and right uh over the past couple months which is very cool and i'm I'm stoked with people who are playing it a lot but at a certain point i felt personally like the roguelike randomness element of it would frequently create runs where you could tell within a couple minutes that it wasn't going to be the one and then you would just like quit the run instead of seeing it through and seeing if something else might come along that'll change the tide in your favor which i feel like is kind of a big thing with roguelikes for me is like a game like hades or i uh, the one i'm thinking of specifically is binding of isaac like binding of isaac has you know a huge pool of items you can unlock in any given run but what makes that game work for me is i can get six bad items on six floors in a row but maybe the seventh item that i get on the seventh floor is amazing and completely recontextualizes that run into something that I want to continue and see if I can beat the game with. Vampire Survivors, I feel like not so much because you're kind of locked into a pretty static pool of items in the beginning of a run, uh, which means you can just get a couple bad ones and then it's like, oh, well, okay, I'm not going to I'm not going to try and see this through even. I'm just going to quit. And that feels like I feel like I, I shouldn't ever play or I, I shouldn't when playing a roguelike run into an experience where I'm like just going into the menu and hitting quit to start over, you know? Yeah, I think I think Tournament Sildon gives you a little bit more control of how a run is going to be like from the beginning. Yeah. Given like the, like there's still a lot you can unlock in a run, but I think when you choose your character and your weapon, that's going to be like at least 50% of how that run feels. Yes. Right. That's what's interesting to me. Exactly. So yeah, I think, I think you should give it a shot. It's also like less than $5. It's really cheap. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Are you playing that on the steam deck also? It's a steam deck. Great. It's a, it's like made for steam. Deck. Wow. Awesome. I think this genre is like the Perfect steam deck, steam deck seller. Yeah, totally. That's 20 minutes till dawn. Next up. Okay. So, <laughs> we both did the vouchers uh for Tears of the Kingdom specifically. Yeah. And all this time I'm debating like what should I use my second voucher on? Like should I use it on Pikmin 4, mm-hmm. the upcoming Super Mario RPG? And then someone like reset my brain to factory mode and I got Fire Emblem Warriors. <laughs> okay. The first one. The first one. This game is always like weirdly expensive and I always wanted to get it, but it's never cheap enough for me to just like, yeah, it's a game that I want to spend like $20 on, not like 50, um, Mm -hmm. not to immediately belittle it, but you know, it's like, I kind of, I kind of know what I'm getting into. Right. You and I loved three hopes. I mean, we're big Fire Emblem fans, very big three houses fans. Three hopes was going to be like, even if it was terrible, we were going to love it. (laughs) And I I think that that game is like genuinely a great step forward for both franchises. Yeah. That might be a hot take. I just think like in terms of UI and like the ease of like reclassing characters and like kind of min maxing equipment, 
I love what Three Hopes is doing with like this sort of base planning phase. Yeah, never has there been a better blend between an intellectual property and the Musou genre. I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, ultimately, I still prefer the like tactics gameplay. But that was the most I enjoyed a Musou game. Yeah. That was the most I, I saw it all the way through. At least I, I did one of the houses. Um, so I've been curious about Fire Emblem Warriors because this is also, I think, one of the Warriors games that like got a little bit more attention. Like this and Hyrule Warriors, I feel like we're the beginning of like these more successful collaborations. Like I think Age of Calamity and Persona 5 Strikers and Three Hopes all kind of are more interesting than just like kind of being reskins. Yeah, they're they're like changing um, the narrative about this genre, definitely. Yeah. The thing about Fire Emblem Warriors that is a selling point for you and me specifically is that it's mostly awakening characters. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. It is awakening centric because this came out in 2017. So at that ah. time, the most recent games were Awakening and Fates. Mm -hmm. um, so I just got to the part where they're introducing the Fates characters. But like the first like six hours are all just awakening <laughs> moments, which is great. So like playing as Frederick and Crom and like. Uh, Lucina is like just a dream like as a fan like it's kind of just as simple as that yeah but I am impressed like the game is actually you can tell that three hopes had a lot to work with because I just think there's something about fire emblem that works well as a warrior's game mm. like one I think just it's cool to like have a sword or a lance or an axe and run around with it <laughs> but I think there's also like it has that same like looking at the map seeing the like 8-bit sprite version of a character and telling them where to go like it still has that sort of blend of tactics in real time mm. and it's a little bit more bare bones which i kind of appreciate for a game like this like it's a little bit more like we know why you're here here's another map here's an enemy it's a lot of fun it's like definitely kind of a game i can turn my brain off and just enjoy but i'm i'm impressed at like how good it is especially playing after three hopes because i i kind of was expecting it to feel like this is totally in the shadow of three hopes yeah I, Three Hopes is better, to be clear, but I'm having a lot of fun with it. And I, I think it will be a game that I just sort of like put on whenever just to like unwind. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I'm impressed by it. And I think also like it, the story is like whatever but it's like purposely light to just kind of get you from place to place yeah i yeah i also would have expected to be more of a step backwards i didn't realize how how much of that they had already kind of nailed in that first one which kind of yeah. makes me want to play that also but like you I'd, i i don't think i'm going to spend my other voucher on that game i think i i'm waiting for tokyo game show or something i imagine nintendo's gonna have another direct before the year is out i will say it was probably a foolish decision but i'm glad i have you're having it. fun I, I, so yeah. i think in that respect not a foolish decision one of us had to be a little bit frivolous with the voucher i agree just for just for the drama yeah <laughs> fire emblem warriors the first one you're playing it on switch yeah and it also runs well on switch yeah i also recently got an oled and it looks great yeah on the screen nice handheld. i think um i think that game was also on 3ds i think hyrule warriors and the first fire emblem warriors are both on 3ds which is kind of wild i can't imagine how those run on there yeah i i would wager probably not super well when we did our 3ds episode i didn't even consider playing either of them <laughs> so i was like i'll just play these on switch obviously there there's like a handful of games on 3ds like the ports of street fighter 4 like surprisingly great mm. there there was weirdly kind of similar to the wii u which i guess makes sense a similar era the early 3ds titles were basically all being like look we can play other consoles big games yes. 
And some of them are really impressive. Some of them are like, why'd you try to do this? I just know that that's going to happen whenever they announce whatever the new Switch is also. Because the new, from what we've heard about the new Switch, the, the power will be equivalent to like maybe the Xbox One X or the PS4 Pro, which is exciting. Don't get me wrong to have that level of fidelity in handheld mode. But I'm just waiting for the like... What's what's the Arkham City moment? You know, what's the Mass Effect 3, but not Mass Effect 1 and 2 moment? Or even Skyrim. Like, I think Skyrim on Switch was also that. Yes. Like, oh, like this this works. Yes. You know, like, yeah, what, what is the what is the proof of concept game? Yeah. What, what What is Nintendo being like? Look, look, you can play big, powerful games on here, too. Meanwhile, you know, Starfield is coming out on the Xbox. I think it's going to be Fallen Order or something. Like, I feel like it's going to be like a, like an older AAA title like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Fallen Order is a, is a really good shout, I think, actually. Yeah. Anyway, my last game in my little section here is The Legend of Zelda Oracle of Ages. So as a pleasant jump scare, Nintendo <laughs> Nintendo's Twitter announced their announcement schedule of what's on the virtual consoles is always at this point. I kind of love it. I'm like, what every <laughs> every six to 18 weeks, they're just going to say, like, you can get beautiful Joe, you know, like <laughs> and they recently announced that both Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons are available on the Game Boy virtual console i don't know if it's for the expansion pack only or not yeah i don't think so i think i think that's just i think that's in the regular one because i think the expansion pack is is advanced. for game boy advance yeah. you're right so these and these are both game boy color games which is like a very interesting era of game boy color was like not quite a new system but the games on it are notably like more advanced than previously like you play wario land 3 or the oracle games or pokemon crystal compared to like anything on the regular Game Boy. And it does feel like a big step up, mm. especially Wario Land 3. That game is that was one of the few that you had to have a Game Boy Color yeah. to play. The Oracle games have come up before. I think I played Oracle of Seasons on my 3DS like a year or two ago and I brought it to the show. I think these games are are incredible. I don't think they get enough attention. I mean, there's all the games, but like I think they're a little bit overlooked uh, by some other top down entries because mm -hmm. they're a little bit. They came out in a weird time where they came out on the Game Boy Color after Majora's Mask and before Wind Waker. So they came out in an era where I don't think there was an appetite for retro yet. 3D was too new and too exciting that the idea of having like a mm. Link's Awakening part two. I don't know if that was appealing to like kids at that time. Right. But I also know a lot of people who the Oracle games were their first Zelda. And like, that's a really good first Zelda. I think, I think Capcom shows an understanding of 2d and 3d Zelda in those games, even more so in Minish Cap, which is like, yeah, really because they're on the Game Boy Advance, they can really suggest 3d in a 2d plane more effectively. Yeah. But the Oracle games are, are there are two. There's Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons, and they are different. It's not a Pokemon scenario. It's more of a Fire Emblem Fates scenario where Oracle of Ages uh, is a different. It, they're different stories. They have different characters. And Oracle of Ages is more about puzzles. And Oracle of Seasons is more about combat and spectacle. Mm. And the central gimmick is different. So in Oracle of Ages, there is a time travel mechanic where you go back and forward in time but it's like hundreds of years in time so oh, it's not like ocarina yes. where it's like seven years it's like you go back to like there's a city that's then referred to as a village when you go back in time cool and it's a little bit more like medieval 
which is awesome. And then in seasons, you get this wand where you can change whether it's, you know, spring, autumn, fall or winter. And that will affect the world map in a way. So if you're like, if you see an entrance to a cave that has like ice in front of it, you can switch to summer and then you could probably get in there. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And the other thing about these games is that if you play one, when you beat it, it gives you a password that you can enter into the other Oracle game and that will make that game its sequel. Uh, so you'll enter that game with like slightly better items and it will act as if it's like the follow up to the previous game, which is such a cool idea. Yeah. Like when we first I, talked about this game, because you, br- you brought this game to the show a couple months ago, I want to say it was earlier this year, I believe, or maybe it was last year. Either way, Oracle of Eight Seasons, I think was last year. Yeah. Or maybe I, I remember longer. doing some yeah. research while you were talking about them and finding out that there was also supposed to be a third game. In the, it was supposed to be a, a trilogy of games that you could play in any order, which just seems like such a tall order to have accomplished. And I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. Thank God, I think, for the development team behind that, that they pared it down to two specifically. But I can't even imagine what that would have been like. Um, yeah. But what a cool thing that they made it work at all. Absolutely. And also the fact that, like, I imagine if you're if you're Capcom at this point in time and Nintendo lets you make Zelda, you're like, we got to go all out. Yes. <laughs> like, we we got to totally. really. We can't. This can't just be good. Yeah. And they also did it again in Minish Cap, which I think is I think is even better. Um, but yeah. the Oracle games I really love. And I actually streamed some of Oracle of Ages. I might actually do a full playthrough. So, you know, look on our YouTube for that. But uh, I just think these games are like they, they've got a really unique sense of atmosphere. They very much feel like Link's Awakening in a good way. So if you like that sort of surreal, almost like a little bit more lighthearted, a little bit more tongue in cheek tone to Zelda... I think the Oracle games are like a must. They're, they're amongst my favorite of the top-down Zeldas. That's cool. Yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely going to play at least one of them, if not both of them. I'm going to see through ages, and then it seems like there isn't really a consensus. Like I tried to find like what's the one people like more, mm. and it just looks like whichever one you played first, basically. <laughs> I think Seasons has the more unique mechanic. Yeah. But I, again, I think that the time travel in ages is more like Chrono Trigger and less like Ocarina. Mm. Like Ocarina, the time travel feels more like like Dragon Quest V, where you kind of grow up over the course of the game. Yeah. Uh, like there are very few instances where you go back and forth. To, like there's like one or two. Where you like really have to. Right. Yeah. Whereas in this game, it's all about like if I meet the Deku tree when it's a shrub, then I can prevent this from happening when it's a tree. Mm. That kind of stuff. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And there's also like there's a guy, I think his name is Ralph, and he's like Waluigi Link, who's like constantly jealous that like Nehru likes you more. Oh, and he's shit. trying to save her too. It's amazing. That's the thing too. The goddesses are characters. Right. So Nehru is like the princess of ages, and Din is the princess of seasons. And Feyror, I think that's how you pronounce her name, is like this secret merchant uh, who sells you like secrets. Oh, amazing. Uh, which is amazing. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of fun. I, I really, I love the art style too, like the promotional work and stuff. Yeah. It's really cool. Oh man. Yeah. I, I want to play those games. Okay. Uh, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. you Pretty much every game that you <laughs> talked about, I want to play. I think the only one that I probably won't, if I'm being honest with myself, is Fire Emblem Warriors. I think, I think somehow maybe one day I'll get to it, but I'm not like. It's a little bit like me recommending day old pizza like you are gonna enjoy it but are you gonna like make <laughs> am i gonna go out of happen? my way yeah, to buy yeah. a pizza so i can put it in the fridge and then have it for later i think oracle of ages and age of wonders you should definitely play to be clear leftover pizza is good but i'm not i'm not buying a pizza and immediately putting it in the fridge i'm having a slice or two before it goes in the fridge but what you're asking me to do is to buy a pizza and put it in the fridge and not indulge in that slice immediately exactly when it arrives at my house 
And I understand that that's a weird thing to ask. So yeah. I'm comfortable with you ignoring that one. But <laughs> I think Age of Wonders 4 and Oracle of Ages are must plays for you specifically. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. And that's all I got. Wow. All right, let's take a break. That wasn't that long. It was 36 minutes. Wow. Let's take a break. When we come back, I'll talk about the games that I played. I can't wait. During our break. Very excited. Wow. See you soon. Bye-bye. And we're back. Believe it or not, I also played video games. Hooray. While we were on break from video games. Uh, I can't wait. I will say, okay, before I even get into video games, I will say maybe the best game that I played the entire time we were off was badminton. I was supposed to get on a train to go home from Washington, D.C. to come back to New York. And my train was delayed by three hours. And I was like, absolutely not. I'm not going to do that because I would have gotten home late. So I instead just uh, called up some friends and was like, where are you at? And they were at a park and I met them at a park. And when I re- when I arrived at the park, it was so hot. It was so it was like rainforest energy in this park. So hot. I was sweating profusely because I also had like all my clothes and stuff like my backpack, like everything that I had packed for this trip. And when I arrived, they had a badminton net and I hadn't played badminton since high school, which I think I've talked about on the show before. But I got like really, 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 really into badminton in high school in like a very big way, like enough so that I if there was a way that I could have played competitive badminton, I would have. But anyway, I'm like profusely sweating, drenched in heat and there's a badminton net. And just filled with people I don't know, which was, I think, maybe wow. maybe the best maybe the best situation possible. I, I was like, hey, can I can I get next game? Somebody was like, yes. And it was just me and a bunch of people I'd never met before. And Steven, I, I crushed them. <laughs> I like within seconds, I was like, baby, wow. still I still it. got it. Yeah. Oh, I'm back. Enough so that my partner, Persia, was like, you need to be nice to these people because I was like annihilating a badminton which did you go by brendan birdie that day yeah i sure did and i'm going to do that forever uh and I, <laughs> actually uh aj just make sure you retroactively edit uh, in the future if i if i say just replace it with like a tweet noise or something anyway badminton rocks yeah i also like pickleball in high school it was similar right it, it was like badminton with like ping pong paddles and a bigger ball pickleball seems to be having a resurgence amongst like the uber rich is what i've learned <laughs> like the wealthiest people in the planet are playing specifically really? pickleball and uno i don't know why uno is the other one that feels like because pickleball always felt like a sport that was invented by gym teachers that had not everything in stock it was like <laughs> right, yeah. how do we okay i got like a ping pong paddle yeah. and like a, a golf ball how do we do this <laughs> that's hilarious yeah uh that the one percent are playing pick- i guess what else are they gonna do yeah i don't know they're just they're either going out to play pickleball or staying inside and playing uno which i don't i don't quite understand uh but let's talk about video games <laughs> yeah uh yeah. Okay, I have a bunch of I have a bunch of games I played. The the two that I'll shout out first are two games that I played specifically because of the Dreamcast episode, which uh maybe eagle-eared listeners amongst you uh would have picked up on this. But Uncharted Drake's Fortune, I played through the entirety of. I also recorded that whole stream and that's available on YouTube. Uh, so you can you can watch an entire playthrough of of Uncharted Drake's Fortune, the first Uncharted game, um, which I played specifically because there are a lot of games on the Dreamcast that feel like they're claw as you call them beautiful ambitious disasters. They're like <laughs> clawing into the future, trying to make Uncharted like a decade before it's possible technologically. Absolutely. Yeah. My first Uncharted game was four, yeah. which I played in like 2016, like around when it came out. Right. Uh, and I loved it. And then like years 
years later, I went back when the uh, Nathan Drake collection came out. Mm-hmm. I played four and then I played Lost Legacy, which I also love. Yeah, that game. And awesome. we, we've talked about that on the show. And then like a few years ago, I played all of one and then like the first half of two. Mm. And I, I kind of struggled with one, to be honest. I think it's cool to see where it all began. Yeah. But I do think like two, in my memory, at least two feels like that's where like Uncharted as we know and love it kind of begins. I think so, too. I think it's it's a very classic example of the first game is pretty good, but it's really just setting up for an incredible sequel. I, I think Uncharted Drake's Fortune is a game that I will say I enjoyed more this time than I did the first time I played it. I think going into it the first time, that was what I had heard a lot. I had heard a lot of people say like, you're just playing through one so you can get to two pretty much. Like it was almost yeah. like the thing you gotta do. It's like you gotta eat your vegetables before you can get on to dessert. Um, but playing it trying to give it like a completely open mind and specifically playing it after playing a bunch of Dreamcast games that like very clearly want to be Uncharted. I think that first game holds up reasonably well, removed from a lot of that context, like just kind of as its own thing, engaging with it just by itself on its own terms. I can see why it became a huge franchise and like sold well enough to make a bunch of sequels. Yeah, I I think I think the things that we love about Uncharted are good in the first one. There's just a lot like they get the balance better as the series continues. Yeah, the, the amount of combat and the amount of dudes they throw at you in the first game is it goes past being too much and becomes comedy which i yeah i don't think is intentional but did sure make my playthrough like way more unintentionally funny than i was anticipating i don't know what the production of this game was like but i i just have to guess that there was like especially because that was what 2000 six yeah I think seven. So. yeah there was probably someone in the room that was like there's not enough guns in this game right like you gotta like it can't just be scenic views and exp- exploring you have to throw in a gunfight like here 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 yes. here and it, yeah it, it does feel like comedy like there's a point where you go into a church i think and there's a gunfight into there mm-hmm. and then a scene happens and then there's a gunfight leaving it and i'm like this is like monty python at this point yes you know yeah and there there are so many moments too where you will be like making your way through a tomb or something and no combat is happening as you're making your way through there you're just like kind of solving puzzles to you know get to an end point in this tomb but while you're making your way there you can see a bunch of cover and a bunch of like destructible environment uh, set piece moments that are clearly setting up for when you need to leave and fight a bunch of guys on the way out, which I think is so funny that they just like very clearly say like, oh yeah, you're going to be here again, but you're going to be going the other way and you're going to have to fight a bunch of guys. <laughs> that I think is very funny. And the other thing that keeps happening in that game that I also think is unintentionally hilarious is when you're making your way through a tomb or something like that, again, solving a bunch of puzzles so you can be the first person ever to make it to the end of this, you know, hidden chamber in this uh, ancient crypt. And as soon as you get there, it's just filled with enemies. It's like, how? no, no explanation about how they got there it's just they're needed again like some someone from up high at sony corporate maybe jim ryan himself was like i need more combat here jim ryan i don't think was even leading playstation (laughs) at the time but anyway but no you mean somebody yeah jim ryan sent his will back from the future uh (laughs) like like the sports almanac in back to the future 2 to to biff tannen uh and said there needs to be more combat in this section uh and it doesn't make any sense from a plot perspective but uh just made me laugh it just made me laugh a lot i also think the use of um the super 
supernatural Indiana Jones part of it is like totally whack. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm amazed that didn't ruin the whole franchise because like the, the <laughs> supernatural elements are pretty light yeah. in the other ones. Like I don't even think four has any. Like four. Yeah, I don't know. I, there, I can't remember. There's what. maybe a little bit like in retrospect. I actually recently watched Dial of Destiny and then I went back and watched the other Indiana Jones movies and like Uncharted Four is clearly using last crusade as like a blueprint yes. in a good way yeah but like i think it, it like there's something kind of a like loosely arthurian and biblical about the fourth game mm-hmm. but it never like goes fully in that direction yeah yeah he's not he's not drinking from the cup at yeah <laughs> there's not a night that's like i've been waiting for you nathan for yeah. 400 years <laughs> But all that said, I, I think I think the first one, playing it on its own terms, I had a much better time with it than I thought I was going to. And also, the whole thing took me under five hours. I it's think it was really like, short. It was like yeah. four hours and maybe 30 minutes total. Yeah, it, it definitely... I mean, I think people... like. Uh, I've heard it referred to as like a PS3 tech demo in some ways. And yeah. I think that if you judge it as that, it's incredible. And I think it's kind of maybe why it blew up because like this game just sort of came out with the PS3. And I do think at the time it showcases like what that system is capable of, mm-hmm. but it's also like a great game on its own right. So yeah, um, I think the Uncharted series is like, a forever bonus idea. So I'm sure we'll talk about it more. Yeah. At some point. And now I yeah. know that the second one also, I think takes like six hours maybe. And I think the third one also takes like five or six hours. Like you could, you could blast through that trilogy pretty fast. The so fourth I, one's pretty long. The, the fourth, fourth one, one is, is the long one. Yeah. yeah. That one's like 20 or 30 or something. But, uh, that, that game, that, that first game, I think really holds up in a way I wasn't anticipating. Uh, and I, I, I found a whole new appreciation for it and it did help me, I think kind of frame a lot of the stuff that I was playing on the Dreamcast as well. I mean, totally. the, the, the most obvious one is Legacy of Cain, which is also by Amy Hennig who worked on Uncharted. Um, but for the most part, I, I just think there are a lot of like kind of action adventure platforming games that are trying to have like a big deep story or at least a more cinematic story on the Dreamcast that like don't totally come to fruition. Yeah. Even like Blue Stinger kind of has like yes, Drake's, uh, totally. Drake's fortune energy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and speaking of games that have like a weird tangential connection to the Dreamcast, uh, the other one that I played a bunch of was Judgment, which really honestly now having played Shenmue just feels like trying to do Shenmue a second time in a, in a totally different way judgment specifically like over yakuza yes yeah because because judgment is is also an investigation kind of noir-esque thing with a lot of martial arts focus and you know judgment is a game i played i think really really early on in the podcast like i think maybe in our it's come up first season yeah yeah and it's one that i put on the back burner specifically because i want to play the other yakuza games before i get back to judgment but there was something about finishing up shenmue that was like really pulling me towards judgment and being like let me let me play the like future version of what Shenmue was trying to do and man that game is so fucking good I mean it is it is not I, I think from a story perspective and from like a I'll just say from a story perspective, I think I think Shenmue has the edge. Like I think Judgment has a pretty good story and the acting is obviously like great and there's a lot to be said about how spectacular Judgment is. But I th- I think like the the simple just kind of like revenge plot of Shenmue is a really good paintbrush to to uh paint over the like very humbling hometown experience that that game is trying to elicit like the the, the vibe of that like 
I'm just in this place that I grew up in and I know everybody in town and they all know me, et cetera, et cetera. Just layering like a pretty simple revenge plot on top of that. And also like everyone knew your dad, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I think all that works really well. Judgment really gets in the weeds where it's like, okay, so the, the main protagonist is like a disgraced lawyer who's now a private eye and he starts investigating things for the Yakuza who are protecting him, but he's also against the Yakuza uh, and there's a serial killer on the loose and there are all these warring factions in the Yakuza across Tokyo. Like there's just a lot going on in Judgment and I am sure it all coalesces and when I eventually go back and finish that game, I'm sure it'll come together because what I've heard is that by the time you're done with Judgment, it is like one of the better Yakuza games and spinoffs. Like people really love that game, but it was just fascinating to play as a follow-up to Shenmue. I think just as like, yeah, let's take the investigative angle that Ryo had in Shenmue and turn that into its own game in Yakuza, which, you know, Yakuza is very much a spiritual like successor to Shenmue in a lot of ways, I think. So fascinating, fascinating back to back experience. It's also weird, like the the production of it couldn't be more different because from what I know, like, you know, Yu Suzuki with Shenmue got like infinite budget. and Like there was like Sega's Hail Mary. And I think Sega was pretty resistant or hesitant to do yakuza initially and the creator the legend is that the creator was like if this game isn't a hit i will quit like i will leave sega yeah put your career on the line for this yeah it's like the game that sega didn't want to make becomes one of their flagship series right i i don't i i do think like the importance of shenmue can't be overlooked in just like yeah most games honestly like i I really do have a reverence for that duology at least uh uh, after doing the dreamcast episode and i think one of the things that really pulls me to yakuza as a franchise also or like a dragon now as it's called um the the like a dragon franchise is this idea of kamarocho being a place that you return to over and over again and as the games progress kamarocho just becomes a denser and more lived in place so like you start to learn the the street map of kamarocho in a pretty big way and then as the games progress it's like okay i know that this club is here but you know now that i'm playing yakuza 3 they added you know this uh you know place where i could play cards next to this club you know so just empty spaces in one game become filled in spaces with things to do in future games i think that's very interesting and i think as you get further and further along especially once you hit judgment which is like pretty far down the line right that's i think six yakuza games and that was before seven had come out um so you're like pretty far down the line of those games existing kamurocho is like a fully lived in realized place at that point and it feels so much like what Yu Suzuki and team were trying to do with Shenmue, I think, where Shenmue is so much about, again, like living in that space, learning your way around those streets, learning who works at what stall, who is where at what time of day on what day, things like that. That's all stuff that the Yakuza games, I think, have accomplished in time. Like, I, th- I think that they get that right in, in Yakuza 1. I think they'd like do a pretty good job of it. But I think by the time you get to something like Judgment, it's like this place is so fully lived in and so fully well realized that you get to a point where you do feel like you know that place as if it's real in the same way you did with Shenmue 1, uh, which, you know, again, you're talking about like over 20 years, over 25 years of, of progression between Shenmue and Judgment. But like it took that long, I think, to get that same level of, of fidelity in a space that Shenmue had, which I think is miraculous. And that shows how ahead of its time the Dreamcast was yeah. almost tragically so like right. two decades ahead of its time. Yeah. Although Shenmue like pretty much tanked from a budget perspective, the Dreamcast uh, and their ability to just like throw endless money at creators to make stuff. That game still like holds up and a lot of the stuff that it tried to do, I think, works. Yeah, I think if you if you kind of meet it where it's at, for sure. 
Uh, and Shenmue 2 even more so, in my opinion, given like some of the edges sanded off there, yeah. like being able to actually be given directions from people. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And and the Yakuza games have a mini map, which uh, that's pretty nice. That, that is nice. <laughs> uh Anyway, those, those are two games that remind me of the Dreamcast. Uh, moving totally. on to stuff that doesn't remind me of the Dreamcast. Uh, but I, I, I will start with this one because at the end of the Dreamcast episode, we announced that our next big season premiere, believe it or not, we've already planned for and are like raring to go on and have already started as of what I'm about to say is the Nintendo GameCube. And because of the hype around Pikmin 4, picked up the Pikmin 1 and 2 re-releases on the Switch and played through the first Pikmin, which I'd never done before. That game is so good, Steven. I, Pikmin is is a is a real like dark spot for you and I. I Me feel too. Like, yeah, I've never played them. Like I, yeah. I know of the series, but I, I don't think I've even played them like at a friend's house. I just haven't like done any any Pikmin at yeah. all. I had played yeah. some of Pikmin 2 at a friend's house, and that's really the most interaction I'd had with the franchise. So picking up the first two, I was like, I, I want to I want to play through these and, and make it to four. Um, I might I might have to skip them because four apparently is good enough that I think I might need to play it before goatee season happens but that having been said i did play through the first one and uh man they nailed it they nailed it like from go i think i think there are obviously some some rough edges in that game that need to get sanded off and from what i've heard they very much do especially by the time four comes around but i think just in terms of taking the rts genre and trying to nintendoify it you know this is a yeah. thing we've seen happen over and over and over again with a bunch of different genres i feel like splatoon is always the best example of yeah. this right where they're right. taking the shooter genre the online competitive shooter genre and like turning it into a big nintendo thing miyamoto having the the conceit to take the rts genre and blend it with his love of gardening is like incredible to me i think like famously nintendo wouldn't let miyamoto talk in interviews about what his hobbies were because specific like because they, they were worried that if he spoke openly about the things he was like finding joy in doing that weren't game design other people <laughs> would steal their ideas uh, oh wow which is hilarious because of course like you know if if konami heard what miyamoto was doing you know if they heard that he was gardening i'm sure they wouldn't make pikmin you know like <laughs> Yeah, the the it's like A to G, you know. Yeah, it's so yeah. funny. But that having been said, this is like Miyamoto's baby. Like, uh, you know, it is. I, I yeah, feel it like, like a, it's his passion project. Yeah, a lot of people would point at Mario, right? You know, and say like, oh, that's Miyamoto's baby. But I, or Zelda, and I really think it is Pikmin. Like that is clearly the thing he cares about the most. He is constantly in interviews bringing up Pikmin without being asked. Like he just <laughs> wants he just wants more people to play and enjoy Pikmin. And it seems like with four, that's happening. Like Pikmin four, from what we saw, has sold more copies in japan than final fantasy 16 already which is like an unbelievable accomplishment for that franchise which i think it, you and i always talk about nintendo franchises in terms of like a tier list i feel like pikmin has like forever been in the c list of of uh nintendo franchises not because the games aren't good but i just feel like they haven't permeated the game playing culture in any real way even like splatoon i, I would say has like definitely risen the ranks in recent years yeah but you're right it, it's it reminds me a lot of like like i do think uh you can compare miyamoto to walt disney in more ways than one yeah and i feel like pikmin is like if it, if he kept trying to make fantasia work because <laughs> i feel like Yes. I always see Fantasia not doing well as like the reason Walt Disney pivoted to parks. Right. Like he just sort of like I like that was my thing and it didn't really connect with audiences. But like 
Miyamoto would be like, no, Pikmin is great, and I'm going to show you why. It's yeah. kind of commendable. It is interesting, too, to see like what franchises he has handed off. Like I think at this point, Zelda is much more Ayanuma's thing right. than Miyamoto. And Mario has just become like their business vessel. You know, like <laughs> right. I, I think uh, there's obviously still a, pas- a passion for it, which is why they are all great games. But yeah, like Pikmin does feel like that is that is the game Miyamoto specifically wants to work on. Yeah. And and I'll I'll just say I was really floored by how successful the first one is like they really yeah. have all of the makings of a great franchise in that first game already uh and i'm excited to move on to the second one i'll also say my partner persia is a huge huge pikmin fan and got the fourth one day of release and i think as of this morning has finished the game and is almost 100 <laughs> everything and it is very much like super mario odyssey where once you beat the game quote unquote and roll credits there's like 80 percent of the game left after that, uh, wow. which is really interesting. Um, there are a lot of these uh, little challenges called Dendori challenges where you have like three or four minutes to kind of like solve a big puzzle uh, mm-hmm. using your Pikmin. Sounds very cool. I'm excited to get to it eventually. There are a lot of, uh, as I mentioned, rough edges that it sounds like Pikmin 4 sands off. So I, I'm excited to get to that eventually. Uh, but yeah, the Pikmin 1 and 2 ports on Switch, amazing. They're so good. I remember reading a lot about Pikmin because I read Nintendo Power a lot in this time. Oh, yeah. And like there was so much stuff about Pikmin. There were a lot of games that I just sort of vicariously thought I played by reading about them. <laughs> I remember yeah. specifically to reading about Animal Crossing before it came out, but it was called Animal Forest at right. that time. Yeah. And just being like, this is unbelievable. Like I was so intrigued and I ended up getting that game. Right. Uh, but yeah, there was something I think it will be really fun to explore the GameCube library post Dreamcast because it's a very similar era. It's yeah. like the same years, basically. But I think the GameCube was also experimental in really interesting ways. Like when your launch title is Luigi's Mansion, that kind of sets the tone for the whole totally. library. Yeah. And that yeah. game is that game is really like when we did a bonus about all three Luigi's Mansion games and the first one especially feels like Nintendo's Resident Evil. Like it feels way more like an actual horror game absolutely than the other two do yeah so interesting yeah yeah what a weird series i I, i'm i'm so excited to play more gamecube stuff i think specifically the thing about the gamecube that's interesting and one of the reasons i'm so excited to check it out is because you know outside of how wild the controller looks the gamecube is like by all intents and purposes the last just like straight up nintendo console with kind of no gimmick you know yeah Um, and because of that, all of the creativity goes into the games, you know, and not like totally. utilizing the hardware to make the game, which I, I think, you know, pros and cons to both. I'm not saying that one is better than the other, obviously, but I, I just think like Nintendo straight up making just a video game console that's trying to compete with the Xbox and the PlayStation at that time meant that they also needed to like really go above and beyond on the games that they were producing for it. And they did for the most part, even though the GameCube like wasn't really a commercial hit by any stretch of the imagination, even though it feels like it is because people have such reverence for it. Like the GameCube kind of, I don't want to say failed, but it didn't do as well as by comparison, Nintendo wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially compared to the Wii, which I think is still their number one. The switch though is getting close. Yeah. But the the GameCube had incredible third party support. I think second to the switch, the Wii's success, I think set up the Icarus fate of the Wii U where they're like, Oh, we can just do our own thing. Yeah. But like to an extent, you do have to make a system that developers want to make games for. Yeah. Our friends, Tam and Lucy over at GameSpot, uh, they have a show called spot on on their YouTube that they do every week. Uh, and they, they did an episode recently about what they want from the next Switch. And they were specifically talking about the rise and fall of Nintendo consoles. 
and how the Switch 2 is kind of primed to be a, a failure in some ways, just because of like, if you're to just judge the history of Nintendo, it's like the GameCube underperformed and then the Wii came out and then the Wii set up the Wii U, which then underperformed. And because of that, they needed to pivot pretty hard again. And then you get the Switch. And if that's a trend, then Nintendo's going to swing way too far on the Switch 2 or whatever that ends up being and somehow alienate people. And I really hope that's not the case. I really hope whatever that ends up being is just like what everyone wants, like just a Switch, I, but yeah, better, I, backwards compatible. That's like the I, biggest thing for everybody, I, I think. I see my guess, and this is based on truly nothing but vibes. My, my guess is that the next Switch will kind of be like the 3DS to the DS, you know? like I hope so hopefully with more backwards compatibility. I mean, I guess the 3DS could play DS games. So yeah, that, that made sense. But like, I could see them being like, okay, like this plays both, but you know, you can't play like new switch games on the old switch. Yeah. I'm fine with that. I just want, I, I hope that I can transfer everything over. Yeah. It's, it's, it's shitty that that's even a worry with Nintendo where it's like any other console. Could I just take the history of games that I purchased from you to the next place right please and thank you yeah especially if the form factor is going to stay mostly the same like i, I would i'm going to lose my mind if that thing doesn't have backwards compatibility yeah i do wonder too if they're if they're like gearing up to focus more on nintendo online i could see that honestly mm. i know that's never been nintendo's thing but i just feel like it's kind of bubbling now and there's this weird uncertainty about it there's this weird like bizarre release schedule for the online stuff <laughs> right. but like they're interested in it. They're making stuff for Mario Kart. I feel like they're like cautiously testing it to maybe go further into it on the next console. Yeah. And yeah. that's like maybe what they'll do is like the next hardware is the same, but it has more online stuff. I would love that. I, I yeah. think that would be fantastic. I, th I think, you know, there's no better time to kind of release a big new update to your surfaces than a new console you know yeah but uh, we'll see it might just be like a samba de amigo like arcade booth yeah it, and yeah, that's the switch too yeah it's it's the the screen but it has maracas on the side and joy cons <laughs> and no buttons that's, and they also get the drift shit <laughs> anyway it says i'm shaking when i'm rattling <laughs> and i'm clearly rattling <laughs> dear miyamoto i'm rattling i'm rattling give me a new pikmin <laughs> I want five. I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Other games I've been playing. Um, what I, I can go through this one pretty quick. Uh, Ridiculous Fishing EX is a re-release of Ridiculous Fishing, which was one of, I think, the best ever mobile games just in the history of mobile games existing. Wow. Ridiculous Fishing was one of the best ones. It's by essentially a super group of developers. It's Vlambeer and Zach Gage um, making, uh, if you've never played Ridiculous Fishing, the, the quick pitch is that you're a fisherman uh, who throws his line in the water and then you use the accelerometer on your phone to as the as the hook is uh, descending into the depths, you need to avoid all of the fish that you see in the water. And as soon as you hit a fish, because eventually you probably will hit a fish. As soon as you hit a fish, the hook starts getting reeled in. So you're going up. And as it's going up, you need to catch as many of the fishes you had just tried to dodge on your way down. And then when you're done and you hit the surface of the water, the fisherman launches all of the fish into the air and then it switches to a, a, a shooting game where you need to shoot all of the fish <laughs> out of the sky with your gun. Uh, and every fish 
fish that you kill and explode into blood and guts, uh, you get money for, and then use that money to get upgrades to like get longer fishing lines so you can go further down, or better guns like like dual Uzis or something, so you can use two fingers to like drag across the screen and, and shoot a bunch of fish out of the air. Incredible video game, but because of the nature of how the app store works and how Apple has absolutely no care in the world at all for game or app preservation. Um, and they're like perfectly fine just wiping out entire swaths of apps on the app store by saying, oh, they need to get upgraded to the newest architecture or they need to get updated to work on the newest processor and they can't work on old processors, et cetera, et cetera. It just means you lose a lot of games over time. There are a lot of games that just aren't getting updated by developers and Apple doesn't care about that at all because they just want to sell whatever the newest thing. Ridiculous Fishing was one of those games that got wiped out over time, um, which I, I think is kind of a travesty because that game is so special. So the announcement of Ridiculous Fishing EX was so exhilarating to me and as with i think most things that zach gage works on from what i've found over the years specifically when he's taking stuff that existed on the app store and bring it to apple arcade i should mention ridiculous fishing ex is on apple arcade oh cool he goes above and beyond in a lot of ways and what happened here was it was him the original team of lambeer and then a third development studio who worked to redo all of the graphics for the game so instead of it just being like a 2d game it is now a 2d 3d game where everything kind of looks like uh, almost folded origami so all the fish are like kind of like folded up pieces of paper uh that that look like the fish um which is very cool beautiful art style but they've also added like a billion extra features there's like a fake version of tiktok in the in the game for some <laughs> reason in in the universe of this game that reminds me of the kingdom hearts 3 instagram Do yes you that? Like it is so screens. much like that like yeah. what would instagram look like if it existed in kingdom hearts for some reason similar situation here what would tiktok look like in a world in the world of ridiculous fishing where fishermen go out and shoot the fish with guns um <laughs> it's so funny it's so funny and weird but also when you finish the game there's new game plus there's also now uh, a leaderboard so if you finish the game you can go through uh like an infinite fishing mode uh, and just try and like rack up the largest score. There's a daily challenge, just like a lot of Zach Gage's games also. So there's like a lot going on in Ridiculous Fishing EX, and it takes what I thought was one of the best mobile games ever made and makes it even better in so many really noticeable ways. My only thing about it is that it overheats my phone when I play it. Ow! So I, I needed to turn the graphics down a lot. Uh, so just yeah. a heads up on that. Our friend Will, who did our new theme song, is also playing it on iPad specifically. Oh, nice. Uh, and said that it runs great on iPad. So I, I might try that out as well. But It sounds like it has all the hits of like mobile game mechanics like you yes. know the fishing part the shooting part it sounds amazing i yeah. have to check that out it's it's spectacular it is so yeah. good can't recommend it highly enough also speaking of apple arcade i saw that fantasian might be coming to uh steam soon and pc that's very exciting i think more people should play that i definitely like you know i lost a little bit of enthusiasm for that game in the in the second part of it yeah because it's got so hard but it's still like a really cool rpg for people that are like very much uh if you if you very much prefer turn-based rpgs it's a really interesting way to do turn-based combat yeah uh, that so kind of utilizes position and stuff i i had a great time with that game yeah a lot of i think if it had been released as one game entirely and there wasn't a really strong delineation between parts one and two because there was that time delay between when parts one and two came out i wonder if just taking it as a full game we would have enjoyed it more like if, if we didn't know that part two was harder quote unquote and we just got to a part that was harder in the game i wonder if that would change our opinion at all because the, the big thing is like part two it wasn't like dragon quest where it's like last time on fantasia it just picks up like right where the game ended yeah and so i'd forgotten a lot of like the nuances and the mechanics so like part two very much feels like the second act of final fantasy 6 
where you have to sort of refind all the party members. It's really cool. Yeah. But I just like I didn't I I loved the cast and I loved the vibe of that game, but I didn't care enough to like put up with the difficulty. Yeah. All that being said, I think like Sagaguchi can do no wrong. Like he's he's a hero of the aether and like <laughs> whatever he chooses to make, I will check it out. And I appreciate him and uh also Nobuo Uematsu just being like, we're gonna play the hits, like we're gonna make the game that we like to make. Yeah. And the music is unbelievable. Like it's the whole production of that game with the diorama kind of being like a martyred interpretation of the pre-rendered backgrounds yeah. and the music and just the sort of like lighthearted nature of it. It's really fun. Yeah. And I said it when we first talked about that game and I'll say it again. I, I really want that game to come out on Switch also. I think it's I think it would be so good on the Switch. Yeah, it'd be perfect on Switch. On the OLED Switch in particular, I just I, I think that game would look so beautiful. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really hopeful that that gets a... A release outside of apple arcade because that that's really the only game on apple arcade that i'm like damn i wish more people really could get their hands on that yeah i i think that was a case where it might have hurt the game's audience to be on apple arcade <laughs> yeah but releasing as a full thing instead of as a two-parter i think i'll be interested to see when that comes out and if it kind of sways public opinion if it becomes like a cult hit yeah. yeah that'd be that'd be very cool and also just the fact that Mistwalker is like still making stuff like that that that's exciting to me it. that they're that they're not just like sitting back and be like well we released fantasian it was on apple arcade and now we're done like I'm, I'm glad to know that like they're still working on fantasian and maybe other stuff we'll get to more final fantasy talk later on but i think like miss walker being active still and like the plethora of indie games that are pulling from retro final fantasy it feels like every possible flavor of final fantasy is available yes like we'll talk about 16 later and i get why that game is like rightfully very divisive but all that aside like just the controversy of it being real time i think shouldn't exist because there's so many options yeah. if you want turn-based combat yes and I also think like Final Fantasy as a series has surprisingly rarely been interested in turn-based combat. I think it's always wanted to be a character action game. Totally. Uh, with that, with the exception of like one, five, and ten. Yeah. Every other, even it's 12, not called like, the passive time battle system. <laughs> I'll say that much. ATB is the cocoon to character action games. Totally. Uh, Unless it's Grandia too. <laughs> anyway, we got to move on. Speaking of turn-based combat, thanks for the thanks for the lead-in, Stephen. Yeah, no uh, a game that I checked out. I've only played a couple hours of it, and I'll definitely bring it to the show when I played more of it. Is Cassette Beasts? Yeah, I've been very intrigued by this. I love the art direction for it. Yeah. Fascinating game. Okay, so Cassette Beasts is very unashamedly a a Pokemon like. Like it very much is trying to do the Pokemon thing. And you and I have played a lot of games that want to be Pokemon. There are a lot of games out there that uh, like tout themselves as the Pokemon killer, quote unquote. Uh, and never is that true. <laughs> like The closest it has happened is maybe Dragon Quest Monsters. Yeah, uh, which, yeah, arguably like, you know, kind of dueling paths, you know, yeah, in, right, in a lot of right. ways, right? They're like on, on parallel tracks. But I, I think in terms of like indie games that are trying to be Pokemon, there are a lot of them out there. Uh, and, and none of them have worked for me. I'll just, I'll say that much. Like, I, I can't think of one that really comes to mind. Other than maybe you liked the third voice of cards, but even that is more like Dragon Quest 5e, right? Yes, that is yeah. Yeah, much more like Dragon Quest. Yeah, you're totally right. So all of that said, Cassette Beast I was a little bit trepidatious about um, because it very much wants to be Pokemon. Within a couple minutes, I was like, this is really special. This is definitely something oh, good. This is something new and, and different and interesting. And it's it's taking a lot of what you know and like about Pokemon and I think putting its own spin on it in a really interesting way. The game opens with you creating a character. First of all, great. You can create a character. I love that. 
you wake up in like an alternate universe in, in a town where there's a bunch of other people who are also trapped in this alternate universe. It's like a bunch of people who've just been like ripped from the real world and put in this other world. Um, and they're like, there's no way home. You might as well just make your life here, essentially. And very quickly, you eventually get the power to not summon these cassette beasts, but you become the cassette beast. And the way you do that is by having like an actual like Walkman that you have on your on your hip and you have headphones on. And if you listen to the sounds of these creatures, you become them. So it's a little Persona-y in that way. Oh, yeah. A little yeah, more totally. so than Pokemon. And the way you capture Pokemon, or, or sorry, the cassette beast in this game, is you switch to a blank cassette and then you record the sound of that Pokemon. And it allows you to make a copy of them and then you have them in your inventory. So you have them like a, as part of your party. But what's cool about it is that it doesn't like capture the other cassette beast. You know, so you're not like getting rid of the other one. You're just copying it into your own cassette. So you still have to fight the one that you're that you're uh, trying to capture. Very cool. Outside of that, though, I just think the story is very interesting so far. I love the characters in this game. I don't want to say too much because I think a lot of that actually is kind of spoilery. But the the thing that this game, I think, has a hard time with that I am starting to get over as I'm making it further in uh, is just the traversal around the world is a little bit less exciting than I would like. They they go for this more kind of like isometric view. There's a lot of verticality to the spaces and they allow you to like jump and glide and stuff like uh, depending on what cassette piece you have on you, you have different traversal abilities. So like you'll have more stamina or again, you'll like sprout wings and be able to glide over short distances and stuff. Um, a lot of that stuff is cool, but it feels a little bit limited I, and I don't know in what way or how but I've just found a lot of the game to be a little bit difficult to traverse. But anytime I'm like talking to a character, doing a side quest, of which there are a lot of side quests, doing a side quest, going into like dungeons and fighting the more like quote unquote legendary cassette beasts and stuff. The game is, has its own voice, has its own vision. The music is awesome. I really love the artwork and the character design. And there's a lot of nuance to the combat, I think, that you will find interesting. I think it has the same problem you and I have with a lot of these games. I remember you and I played Temtem a little bit and had this issue where it's like you don't know who any of the creatures are and they have entirely different typings than what's available in Pokemon. So instead of, you know, like fire, water and grass, you know, you're going to have like crystal. Yeah, you're going to have like crystal and sky and dental. Yeah. And yeah, yeah uh, glass, you know, things like that. Yeah, just just do it like that. Not that I know how to make a good Pokemon game, but I think it's kind of like a siren song of a project where it's like it's very easy to think about like what you would do to make an ideal Pokemon game. But the biggest challenge is like finding where you're different. Yeah. And sometimes I think the differences that are found feel a little bit superficial. Yes. And then, and then also the biggest thing is like, you got to recognize that it's really hard to design good looking Pokemon. That's like the biggest thing in <laughs> yeah. Pokemon likes is like often the Pokemon just aren't that cool looking, you right. know, and it's or, or really they don't, they don't properly telegraph what their type is. I think that's kind yeah. of one of the bigger things is like Pokemon for, you know, you could talk about the quality of the creature design from one from, you know, generation one to whatever generation we're on now. But I feel like the consistent thing about Pokemon designs has always been you see a thing for the first time in the wild and you're pretty sure you know what type that is and what you should yeah. be fighting it with. And right. um, I, I do think Cassette Beast is good about that. I just haven't learned what all these new types are yet. And that's kind of my big problem. But I, I just think that's a that's a thing that will get better the further into the game I get. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I mean, again, it sounds like the just they really nailed the distinction. Yeah which I think is the biggest thing. Cause I think like the idea of a monster collecting RPG is not, you know, strictly Pokemon, but I think that's going to be the series you're compared to. Yeah. Even persona, I think early on was pitches like it's got like Pokemon, which like 
Not really. Yeah. And SMT. Yeah. Similar. Yeah. Right. And SMT also, I think, is in some ways like the grand, the edgy grandfather of Pokemon. Right. Yeah. It's so funny, though, that like when, whenever a new SMT game comes out, it's like, oh, yeah, this is a lot like Pokemon. It's like, kid, you don't even know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, uh, because that piece, I like it a lot. I'm playing it on the Switch. It's available on Game Pass also. Um, oh, cool. So that sounds great. Probably, probably the place to play it if you have an Xbox or a Game Pass subscription. And I assume it's on PC, I would guess. Uh, so if you want to play it on the Steam Deck, it's there as well. And the last game I'll shout out in my my little section, my little section is, uh, <laughs> I don't know what that was, is Viewfinder. Um, man, of of all these games I'm talking about, I think this is like the the best one. Uh, I I was so hooked on Viewfinder. I, I got this on Steam Deck. It is very much a Portal like or a Talos Principle like or a Super Liminal like. You know, all of these games, all the, which are all great. I find that anytime there's a game like this that wants to be like this, you know, Portal, Super Liminal, Antichamber. Uh, the Entropy Center, like all these games that get the spotlight as like a first person puzzle game. Usually they're great. I find that like, yeah, if they if they bubble up to the surface, they're usually great. And Viewfinder is one that was so immediately captivating to a lot of people visually because the, the way it works is you have a camera and you can take a picture of anything and you print out that picture. It's like a Polaroid and you can hold that picture in front of you and superimpose the thing that you took a picture of onto the real world. So like if there's, you know, a gap between two spaces, you can take a picture of a bridge and then hold that picture up and and put that bridge in that gap between two spaces. That's amazing. And the game just, you know, as all good puzzle games do, just continues to layer more and more and more interesting mechanics. So in in the beginning, you don't even have a camera. In the beginning, you're just finding Polaroids lying around and you're just like, you know, using the Polaroids that you're given to to fill in spaces and and traverse the space. Um, But then you're given a camera. Eventually, uh, you have the ability to like start to superimpose other things that aren't photos, which I don't want to spoil because it's really weird and cool and exciting. You can see some in like the key art and whatever. But Viewfinder, I think, beyond just being a really, really good first person puzzle game and like one of the better ones I think that exists. Also, it has a story about environmental collapse that's like pretty dark uh, and pretty harrowing and heavy, but I think uses the trappings of puzzle games specifically to drill down on the idea of insurmountable problems like that. Like it asks a lot of questions about the things like you know, the environmental crisis that we're in right now and say like, this is a thing that seems so big that there's no way anybody could solve it. Also, this little puzzle that you're doing seems so difficult that nobody could solve it. And yet you sure did. You know, it took you a long time and you had to bang your head against it for a while, but eventually you figured it out. It like takes the idea of getting stumped and uses it as a motivating factor for like the change you can uh, make in the real world. And I think that's really interesting yeah, and, it's, and it's a really cool lens to view a puzzle game through in particular so i just think it's really special uh it's called viewfinder i i loved it on the steam deck it's also on ps5 i believe um it's so so good and i i highly recommend playing it uh it's got a great ending and i i want to play it again there there are other optional uh puzzles not all of which i i did um so i want to go back and i think play through it a second time and do all those I'm intrigued by not starting with the camera. I feel like all good puzzle games kind of limit your options right away yeah. to make sure. Like, I remember when we played Portal for our episode about Portal 1 and 2, uh, there's like the developer commentary in the game. Yes, yes. And one of the things that I remember where they were they were like, in playtesting, people were just like really, it took them a really long time to like process what the mechanic was. Mm-hmm. And we found that like, like the first thing that happens is like you see your character go through a portal. Right. 
and they were like just by us showing you like you kind of need to see this in third person to get it in first person Mm -hmm. and it's like one of the few times where you like actually have to see your character going through a portal right and you also don't have the portal gun until like four rooms in right. roughly. And even when you get it, it's just one of the portals. You don't it's just one. So yeah, yeah, I think like not knowing, like simultaneously not knowing that your options are limited, but then like, you know, by the time you get the full range of options, the game knows that like you're pretty confident in what the rules are. Yeah. And that I think is like fundamental to all good puzzle games. Yeah. Um, it's awesome to hear. Yeah. Viewfinder, great game. I think one of the best of the year for me, at least so far, big recommend. And that's uh, that's all the stuff that just I played during the break. Now we're getting into the us of it all. The us the of last it all. of us. Um, <laughs> anyway, want to take a break and then come back with all these big games? Let's take a break. I'm going to water the plants. I'm going to have a sandwich. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Weirdly, like one of my guiltiest pleasures is the impossible breakfast sandwich from Starbucks. It's good. Um, it's really good. I yeah. love ciabatta. I actually just got a loaf of ciabatta from Whole Foods. Great. Did you know that ciabatta was made, like invented in the 80s? It's like a newer type Yes, of I did I did learn this recently. I I found um I found a timeline of when foods were invented and it's amazing how recent some stuff is. Yeah, like ciabatta I, I guess it's sort of like ciabatta is like a like to go version of Italian bread. So it's not like from scratch. Yeah. But I just assume all bread is ancient. And then like there's new breads all the time. We got new breads. The banh mi was invented in 1987. That was a wild wow. one. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find, there was one that like really fucked me up. Uh, I feel like a lot of it too is the, I mean, with banh mi, it's like the sort of the French influence in Vietnam. Yeah. You know, like that combination. Um. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the nineties. Yeah, what are the 90s breads? Spawn loaf? Broccolini? Broccolini. 1993. Grape tomatoes we invented in 1997. (laughs) That's definitely a Monsanto thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Although I do love grape tomatoes. Yeah, it's amazing. Some of the, so everything bagels, 1988. That is such a Reagan fucking invention. (laughs) You know? Pulled what do pork? you want? What do you want? Pulled Everything pork was in the seventies. That I that I struggled to believe. I feel like there right? must have been a different iteration of it earlier. Anyway, you want to talk about Street Fighter? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> you I'm always, sure. always laugh at me when I bring us back into the. I show. just it's it's I just never know what's going to be included. So I just love the <laughs> idea of of that whatever we just talked about. Open. I'm sure that it's going to happen. <laughs> It's kind of a funny conversation. Yeah, AJ, AJ's going to put that in the show now. Anyway, yeah. we're talking about Street Fighter 6. Yeah. Which we decided that for the games that you and I both played during the break, we're just going to talk about them in release order. And the first game that released when we started our break was Street Fighter 6. Yeah, we talked about if you're a patron, you've heard a little bit about this yes. uh, in any percent. And I streamed a little bit of it uh, really early on. Whenever I stream a fighting game, I always like cringe at like weeks later when I know the game significantly better. I'm like, what was I doing? Like, that, was, <laughs> that wasn't my real skill. Street Fighter 6 is truly a dream come true. I, I think like, especially during the Dreamcast episode, like I'm fully back into fighting games in a way that like I've always wanted to be in the show. Like I think I, the first like flirtation at getting back into fighting games was, was with Guilty Gear mm-hmm. uh, in 2021. And then like, it just always kind of came and went, you know, and uh Street Fighter 6, you know, looming on the horizon, I was pretty confident that it was going to get the modern Capcom treatment, the modern Capcom glow up. Yes. Where like 
2017 and on Capcom, every mainline entry is like a hit. it's sort of like early Switch Nintendo, where like every one of their mainline entries was like revolutionarily good. Mm-hmm. I feel like Capcom is just like unstoppable right now, and. I am glad to report that like Street Fighter 6 got that treatment. It's also interesting to think about like Street Fighter 5 came out in the Capcom slump, I would say. <laughs> like there was that time after Street Fighter 4 and before Resident Evil 7 that there was just like a lot of weird misfires. Like yeah. there was Street Fighter 5 came out to like the head of Capcom, the CEO at the time said like I'm sorry, this is unfinished. Like pretty soon after right. five came out. Although five got a pretty dedicated yet another one of those games where like it was kept alive and then got better as time went on. Mm-hmm. And like I think that that game kind of marks I don't know for sure if there was a change in leadership, but I'm guessing there was. There was at least a change in attitude right. in a big way. Because like I think Street Fighter Five slowly becoming redeemed really set the stage perfectly for six being like an incredible launch and it is i mean i what i'm most happy about with six is that friends of mine like yourself and like others who have always sort of wanted to get into fighting games but have felt intimidated or like just you know whatever reason like didn't want to push past that that wall of of uh anxiety or like imposter syndrome six as a game is thinking of those players like in every aspect yeah like there are so many tools and like even just the attitude of the game is like hey like let's all get better you know right like they've gamified learning a fighting game i think in a really effective way has that worked for you yeah i think that's the that's the best magic trait this game pulls uh it's i think the most exciting and interesting thing about it is just the the permeating sense that everyone in the game both npcs and also people that you play against online i've found uh just just want to improve and want to get better and i think taking the like almost shonen anime approach (laughs) to your own individual experience making your way through street fighter 6 is really like just a brilliant thing for them to have focused in on because outside of the fact that it creates i think a more positive community than i am used to in in a fighting game um or just in like competitive online games in general i i also think that it's just going to keep people around longer, right? Like oh, yeah. creating a more positive experience for everybody is going to make the legs of this game much longer than it would have been otherwise. It's it's so smart for so many different reasons. I will say, I mean, I haven't really played Street Fighter Six at all since we last talked about it for any percent because so much other stuff has happened, sure, uh, which we'll talk about. But it's a game I'm excited to go back to. And I know you're very into it. And our friend Pablo, who we've had on the show before, like bought a fighting stick and has been yeah. playing so much. And uh, he's also like new ish. Like this yeah. is like a, uh, I think this has been like a desire of his for a while. Yeah. And, and he just seeing- hit gold rank he got, he which is with cammy. Yeah. yeah all the rank is tied to each character so if you play as a different character online they like put you in place and matches oh right cool away. i had a bit of an identity crisis because i've been maining uh jury who's incredible yeah love her and i'm at silver with her and i'm like kind of stuck people are really good online like yeah the overall skill level is kind of frightening i did play some matches with ken and immediately got like high silver oh. like from go like normally I just okay. start like in iron and work my way up. But Ken, they just were like, yeah, you're already. I, I imagine just because I know the game better. Mm. But I'm like, is Ken secretly my guy? Yeah. Ken is great. I wanted to find another character that I put time into because I think it's important to switch it up a little bit. Even if you have a main, like just to have somebody you like 
Switch 2 to, to learn the game a little better. But yeah, all that to say, like, I think mechanically i i'm i've i have 50 hours of it already logged in and i think it's mechanically the best street fighter uh that might sound a little bit hyperbolic i just think like it kind of has a little bit of everything like it has a version of the parry system from third strike it has sort of these drive impact moves that are similar to mechanic and four i love the drive system it's amazing yeah like and and the super me like all the like it's a little bit overwhelming at first, but I think the biggest thing to learn first, even more than like how to play a character, is like the timing of the drive moves and like when to use your super. Yeah. The sort of rhythm of a match. I really just love like the game has so many opportunities for comebacks. Something like I love Guilty Gear and I love Marvel vs. Capcom. And I'm curious about Project L, which is like the League of Legends fighting game that's kind of on yes. its way. They've been showing more footage of that. But all those games are kind of more in the like infinite combo, like never ending <laughs> thing. And like, that's fun. But I, I much prefer this sort of like more, I don't want to say more thoughtful, but there's like there there is a wrestling match level of drama in every Street Fighter 6 match. You know, like the the, the amount of options you have at any point like there's counters for counters for counters Mm -hmm. and like if you think you're on a roll like you can have someone in the corner going crazy and then they completely turn the tides and that to me is like the sign of a good fighting game yeah that's one of the reasons i think the drive system is so exciting so the drive the drive system allows you to there's like a drive parry and a drive attack i think right those are the two buttons yeah there's a you can hold uh the parry button which will like make your character blue and they'll strike a stance and they'll just deflect every attack yeah or if you do a perfect parry it will like slow down time and like end whatever the other character is doing yeah so it allows you in situations where you're absolutely getting rocked which is usually the situation that i'm in to like break free of that and kind of reset the match and the drive impact is kind of like a smash attack where like every character has this color palette of paint and they'll like build up to a really powerful attack that will like kind of overpower whatever the it's a very much like a smash attack if it has the same yeah. kind of feel to it and if somebody is not doing a drive parry then you'll pretty much just blow through any block that they would try and throw up which is really cool exactly uh, so it, it, it automatically gives your move priority over anything else that the opponent's doing unless they're also trying to drive block which is pretty cool and there's also like nuance to it too like if you have someone in the corner and you do if you hit them with the drive impact even if they're blocking it will bounce them against the wall of the level yeah. and you'll have like a very brief opening yeah so like there's stuff like that that makes the game feel very organic and uh i just think it also looks incredible like i third strike is still my favorite aesthetic like i love that 2d art style i've never really loved the look of four or five i just didn't like the characters just always looked a little off to me Mm. and i think there's a lot of like realistic textures in six but they still look very stylized yeah in a way that like i think it's impossible to have that not look uncanny and somehow it like totally works yeah you know and and just the amount of personality like when zongief parries he just flexes and like it bounces off his abs when blanca parries he just like shakes his butt at whatever's happening <laughs> like it's all it's a game that makes me laugh constantly and when i play with friends if i'm like on the phone with them my friend andy and i have been playing a lot and like we'll yell like at every like every match feels like a big deal mm-hmm. also huge shout out to the discord we have a fighting game channel and everyone there is so 
a really good at the game <laughs> and b so supportive and like really encouraging like uh i've seen multiple times people be like hey i'm having trouble pulling this move off and people will volunteer to like hop into a sparring session to like see what they're doing that's so wrong. good that's so good yeah and like just my favorite thing to do is like make a room and just like spectate matches or play with people and like seeing everyone kind of discover who their main is and like learn other characters too and it's just it's just really fun like i i haven't done much of the like weird single player where you make a character who like befriends the the masters as they're called i do want to do that but i've just been enjoying like the core game so much and unlocking all the artwork there's so much incredible artwork you can unlock just by playing arcade mode and stuff i think it's a dream the only thing i don't love is like the ui can be confusing and like the battle pass is a little weird but like you also really like it's all just like clothes for your avatar <laughs> i really have no reason to get it yeah i will get the dlc characters eventually once they like release the first wave of them mm. they have leaked so i know who's in there and i'm excited for a couple of them oh but i'm i'm like pretty committed to jury and ken right now so i'm busy uh, <laughs> but I, I love i i adore this game i'm blown away by it you and i both bought chipotle burritos to get some <laughs> in-game currency during the break which was yeah funny. so i have i have most of the characters alternate costumes yeah which i do like, i do enjoy having that because a lot Me of too. the alternate costumes are like the original their original yeah. outfits exactly yeah so like jury gets the eye patch and like the hooded collar and ken has his like red gi yeah which is awesome it's it's just the best time. It, it just it feels very welcoming and exciting. Like I feel like it there's a I mean Street Fighter is a beloved and very established series. So I think that's what I was looking forward to. Is like Guilty Gear, I'm so glad has become like a mainstream hit, but Street Fighter is such a known thing that when there's a new Street Fighter that like looks the way this one does, I think there's a level of interest that will bring way more people in. Yes. And I think that this game will retain a lot of those people. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I, I'm excited to play more of it eventually. I'll, I'll definitely get back into it when I'm done with some of the stuff that we're about to talk about. I get it. Yeah. It, it's it's become like, I, I like having a go-to game that I can just do like a few matches every morning or so. And, and this has become that for me. Yeah. The, the problem with me, I think like the mental block I have about Street Fighter 6 is it's a little bit of a homework assignment for me because i don't know how to play the game very well still so every time i sit down to play it it's like it's almost like opening up duolingo to try and learn a new language in a lot of ways <laughs> you know it's like you do need like duolingo makes it good because they have gamified learning a language but also it is still a little bit of like a homework adjacent task yeah you should hop in like what well, next time i make a room i'll let you know and i feel like that would probably be a less like less pressure than just fighting random people online because it will just be like you know regular sparring matches yeah I know you've been playing as Ken, but maybe like mess around. Like I have been branching out a bit from Ken. Yeah, I, I started just doing random in those matches to see like if I liked other characters too. Yeah. And I learned that I really like Jamie and Chun-Li as well. Um, so it's it's cool. It also, I think it helps too. If there's a character that gives you a lot of trouble, playing as them is like the cure to yeah. that. Like JP used to mess me up. And now I'm like, if I get close, he's got nothing. He's got nothing on me. I <laughs> yeah. can destroy him. JP. JP. Yeah, JP really fucks me up a lot too. <laughs> JP and uh, uh, used to be Ken, although like there's so many Kens, there's a pretty wide level of skill mm. online. Like when I see a Ken, I don't know if I'm going to get like rocked or if I'm going to rock him. Mm. Yeah. I feel like when I used to play Melee competitively, that was Marth. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a lot, of, a lot of people's like starting melee character when they want to play competitively as marth because i just feel like it oh and uh 
Manon is also really strong. Yeah. Uh, she like, like, I think I'm doing well. And then she like her, her and Zangief are the grapple characters. So if they get you like three times, it's over. Yeah. So you have to like be your best self for the whole match. <laughs> That's Street Fighter six. It's That's available on pretty much everything. And there's crossplay, which is yes. amazing. Yeah. It's so nice. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and then come back. Cause we have a lot of final fantasy to talk about. <laughs> this is a dream for me. This is so funny. Yeah. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're back. We're going to talk about Final Fantasy 16, I promise. But there are two other Final Fantasy games we wanted to just kind of cruise by real quick. Just wave hello this, from our from our car window. This also happened by accident, but these are like the perfect other two Final Fantasies <laughs> to compare 16. You're totally to. right. Yeah. And maybe Stranger of Paradise if we if we brought that up. <laughs> like last October, I feverishly pre-ordered the analog Super NT, I believe. Yes. It's their Super Nintendo device that allows you to play cartridges uh on you know hdmi um it's really cool and there's also like a game that's kind of baked into it super turrican director's cut anyway so i have a good amount of super nintendo cartridges so i really wanted this to like be able to make use of them because my actual super nintendo stopped working like a year ago sadly um, and i have like final fantasy 2 II and 3 secretly 4 and 6 as well as Super Mario RPG. And I'm like, I, I would love the ability to play any of these. So I, I put in my cartridge of Final Fantasy 2, actually Final Fantasy 4. And uh, that that's the game that has like, over the course of this show, crept up amongst my favorite Final Fantasies. Yeah. Like there are so many versions of it. It was kind of fun to go back to the original one. And I notice it is not a subtle story. And by all means, it's like the first attempt of Final Fantasy to tell a more interesting story than they previously did. Mm -hmm. But I think it's still so ambitious and impressive. Like that's the thing we always come back to is like this game in 92 is like really pushing the envelope of like expectation past even where it was established. Yeah. There are like that game famously opens where you are Cecil aboard uh, the Red Wings. You're on this airship. that's essentially just like bombing villages and stealing things from kingdoms and the main character is it's very much the are we the baddies moment. But something that I noticed just playing the beginning again is that you actually like in that beginning sequence when you're questioning the orders, there is a random battle that happens with a monster on board the ship. Mm, but you right. don't control Cecil. You just watch him fight. You don't get to control him until he's actually like taken off that assignment like he questions the king ah. and the king banishes him interesting and subtle things like that where it's like you don't get to control the character until he's had a change of heart is so cool and effective right. and like i think that story remains one of like the thing about the original version on super nintendo is the localization is like bad it is kind of charming in a way but like the writing has been refined in like the pixel remaster version yeah. or even the ds remake but like I just there's something about that game that I love returning to and playing it on original hardware has been really kind of uh, charming. And it is a story that I've been thinking about a lot while playing 16, which we'll get to in a bit. But yeah, that's like, yeah. yeah, four. I had a really pretty deep spell with with the pixel remaster when that came out. I played, yeah. I think, like five to ten hours of it and was like really, really enjoying it and then put it down for some reason or another. Oh, I remember why it was because I was waiting for them to announce the pixel remasters for Switch eventually. But since then, I've learned that the best version of that game is maybe the PSP 
version, which I, yeah. which I also do have and have been considering playing uh, at some point. So I, I would like to talk about Final Fantasy four eventually. Uh, I know AJ played it recently. Hey, AJ, and and finished the whole thing and is like really effusive about it. On yeah. the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, the Game Boy Advance version is also pretty good. I feel like four and six. I just really got to like bite the bullet and play both. Yeah, they're they're uh, they are the cream of the crop of that era, I would say. Yeah. And probably of the series overall, they're definitely like top five. Yeah. Final Fantasies but I will me. say just playing the Pixel Remaster of four, I was so, so, so impressed by the narrative chops that game has. Yeah. Uh, there, there's very immersive. So yeah. much going for that game. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll play the whole thing eventually. Can I move on? I just I will pitch you on four. You go to hell and the moon. So like what more could you want? Yeah. What else do you want? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just like Paper Mario in the Thousand Year Door. <laughs> Kind of, yeah. The other Final Fantasy game I wanted to shout out real quick is Final Fantasy XIV, the online yes. one, the MMO, yeah. the massively multiplayer online game. Uh, I, I'll just say in, in the context of Final Fantasy XIV, I, over the course of our break, have really kind of come around on the Steam Deck. Not that I was ever against the Steam Deck or didn't like it. I liked it a lot and I, I've been very effusive about it since we got them. But the thing about the Steam Deck for me has been mostly using it as an emulation device like i've been mostly using it as like the most powerful emulator you could possibly have in handheld which is great i mean you can play like wii u stuff on there you can play ps3 stuff you can play like original xbox stuff and ps2 stuff and everything below that you know that's that's really exciting and very cool but i i found personally that i was not really gravitating towards like larger pc games uh and console games like i i tried to have the experience that I know a lot of our friends had with Elden Ring, where I like picked up Elden Ring again on the Steam Deck and tried playing through Elden Ring a second time on the Steam Deck. And I just like just hold, holding that big chunky device. I just like didn't feel like I could get as into it as I wanted to. And over the course of the break, I kind of like forced myself to buy things that I would have gotten on consoles on the Steam Deck instead. Starting with Viewfinder, I picked up Viewfinder on the Steam Deck and played through that whole thing. And that was like a really fun little ritual that I had for myself and had a really good time with it. Uh, the next game I picked up was Borderlands 3 because it was $4. <laughs> and I was like, this is actually the exact price that I will pay for Borderlands 3. Yeah. Um, and had like a surprisingly good time with it. I didn't, I didn't play enough of it to like talk about really. But I, I had a good time with Borderlands 3 on the Steam Deck and was like, okay, now that I've had these two pretty good experiences back to back, like let's kind of expand out a little bit more and see what's up. And the next thing that I tried to tackle was how do you get Final Fantasy 14 running on the Steam Deck because I remember when the Steam Deck came out it was like a whole weird situation like it was difficult to get Final Fantasy 14 running on the Steam Deck you needed to like download a different launcher you needed to like run it from desktop mode and like do a bunch of stuff you know which is not out of the realm of how the Steam Deck works I feel like if you're a person who plays the Steam Deck and you have one you know that there's a lot of like tinkering and finagling you need to do to get some stuff to work yeah more on that with Baldur's Gate 3 in a moment yes. yeah but with Final Fantasy 14 they eventually just released it on Steam like you just get it on Steam now which means that it just installs like any other game on Steam and it's it does load into the launcher you know the the thing that like makes you sign in before you start playing but as soon as you get into the game it registers that you have a controller you know because you're using the Steam Deck so it reg it registers it using like console uh console controls instead of you know a, a mouse and keyboard situation which obviously if you dock the Steam Deck you could use mouse and keyboard if you want to instead but I've just been playing Final Fantasy 14 in handheld mode on the Steam Deck it runs really well the battery life is surprisingly great while playing that game and 
I just started a new character. I just rolled an entirely oh, wow. new character and was like, I'm going to start from the beginning because I haven't played in long enough that I was like, I, I I don't remember how to play this game. And honestly, it's a pretty overwhelming video game in general. Yeah. So I was like, let me just start from scratch, go through the tutorial a second time, really just get into it. And uh, I've been having a great time. I'm almost caught up to where I was the first time already, uh, just because the the ease of starting it up on the Steam Deck is great. I do know that there is a second launcher that you can get that allows you to skip the like password sign in page, which is nice, uh, which I, I might install eventually. But for now, just the ease of having that running on the Steam Deck has been so good and has really revitalized my interest in the Steam Deck. And it's probably the thing I am playing most now, which is great to finally be there, you know, to like, yeah, have the Steam Deck and be happy with all sides of it. I love the Steam Deck. You need to see like what games are going to be a good fit for it. But like I've been really enjoying my time with it, especially for like visual novels like Paranormal Sight and also like tactics games like Civilization or Age of Wonders. Yeah, it's like perfect for that. Persona 4 as well is really great on the Steam Deck. Final Fantasy 14, I, I've been like dying to go back to. I finished Realm Reborn at, well after we had brought it up to the show early yeah. on for that bonus. And I'm dying to get to like the actual good story content. <laughs> Although I will say Realm Reborn like really does end strongly. Like I think it does like it was a surprisingly cathartic story to wrap up because mm -hmm. I think a lot of it, as we discussed a lot on our, our early bonus about it, is like most of the story is there to endear you to that place. Yes. And then when it suddenly becomes Star Wars, you like give a shit because <laughs> you've dusted all the paintings and like done all the errands. But I really I, I definitely want to play. What is it? Um, Heaven's, Heaven's Word is the first yeah. big one. Yeah. So I don't know if I'll ever catch up, but I definitely want to at least see some of the post Realm Reborn stuff. So I'll, I'll probably pick it up in the Steam Deck, too. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And I have a lot of friends who've been wanting to play with me. I feel like it's brewing. I feel like it's coming back. Yeah. So yeah, I one of the things that I, I have really enjoyed about Final Fantasy 14 specifically, both the first time we played it and now is, you know, as much as I enjoyed us playing together, I, I appreciate that they made that game one that you could if you're just a fan of final fantasy you could just play it solo if you want to and you just are like surrounded by other people i think that's really great and also there are so few examples in this medium of such long-term storytelling paying off you know i, yeah, I feel right. like so infrequently do you get situations where like you could be playing the same game for that many years and still be like wow this is hitting just as hard as i want it to and it's building on all of that context that you have from years and only getting better yeah, yeah. i feel like that doesn't happen very often even games that have a bunch of sequels like it doesn't always work out i think one of the other examples i'm thinking of is the the uh trails series which people you know love 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 but you have to start with trails in the sky you know and make your way through a trilogy and then a duology and then another duology and then a trilogy, you know, to, to catch up. The most recent one just came out in the U S on PS five and other systems. Yeah. Uh, into reverie, I believe is the name of it. Yeah. Which I can't uh, even think about cause I'm still playing <laughs> the first sky game. You know, I, I'm going to fit. I, I'm going to try my best. I love trails in the sky, but it, it is long. I'm going to do my best to at least finish that one. And then I might just jump to trails from zero. Cause that's the one that I really want to play. The thing that frustrates me so much is that trails in the sky is not on the switch. Like if I was on the switch, it would be such an easy thing for me and it's cool to have it on the steam deck and that's probably where i'll play it now that i've had this revitalized interest in the steam deck because that was where i started it initially and had a really good time with it but i did get the psp version during the break and i started the psp version and it is so bad like <laughs> it's 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 just it's straight, incredible I'll be honest, on steam deck it's straight up not good on the on the psp and i'm amazed yeah. that there were enough people who like 
latched onto that game and were like, man, I love this franchise. Like, that's awesome. I'm so glad that this franchise is still existing and they're seeing this long term story to fruition and it got a remake, you know, for PC eventually and it runs great on the Steam Deck. Like, that's all amazing. It's so wild how difficult it is to make your way through that PSP version <laughs> that I'm actually I'm really excited now to go back to the Steam Deck version. Yeah, play on Steam Deck. That's like it's like one of the best Steam Deck experiences I've had, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Final Fantasy 14. Great game. Having a very good time with it again, even though I started over, I just picked all the same stuff because I had such a great time. So I am Johnny anime again and I am a Lancer. <laughs> and an elf. What's great, too, about FF14 is you can change your class basically at any time for like no real consequence. Yeah, you just go like talk to somebody else. Yeah. yeah, and you just change whatever item like your like equipment changes what class you are, basically. So I'm a bar. Zoe Bahamut is a bard, uh, but I've been thinking about switching to a ninja at some point. Fun. You know, the classic bar to ninja pipeline. Yeah. Ugh, so cliched. <laughs> <laughs> First you're singing. Now you're hiding. We get it. <laughs> you're afraid of the spotlight. Yeah, 14 is awesome. Anyway. Shall we move on to the present? Yeah, that leads us to the new kid on the block. The first mainline numbered entry in Final Fantasy since 15, which was what, 2016? Yeah, something like that. So it's been like seven years since the last Final Fantasy. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. 16 is out. I streamed the demo like shortly after the demo came out. And the demo is the first like two hours of the game. Yeah. And I'll say this. When I played the demo, I was like completely in love. I was like, this is blowing me away. I love everything about this. I'm like completely gripped by the story and the combat and the spectacle. And I don't want to say like since then I've liked it less, but I've just found the game, the game feels like it kind of ebbs and flows and how much it's working for me. Mm. Like I, I think that there are, there are sequences that I'm like fully, fully gripped by it. And overall, I think it's a great game to make that clear. Like, I think it's a really good entry in Final Fantasy. I definitely get why it's divisive and I share a lot of the critiques, but I think overall, like the combat is really good. I think the story is interesting and the characters are like the characters and the vocal performances, I think really carry a lot of the narrative side yeah. of it. Yeah. The, like, oh my God, the voice acting is so Ralph, good. Ralph Einstein as Sid like deserves an award. He's yeah. so good. Unbelievable performance. Yeah. yeah, it feels like the first like I, I think he's done some voice work. I think he's in D Diablo four as well, but like oh. he's relatively new to video games and it feels like the the most successful like celebrity voice credit since Martin Sheen as elusive man. Like it feels <laughs> like that like iconic <laughs> level of a performance from someone who's like more known for like TV or movies. Yeah. But he also, I feel like he, I could see him kind of taking a J.K. Simmons route where he's this like very prolific character actor that just has such a distinct voice mm. that he inevitably gets a lot of video game work. Um, similar to Keith David in that way. Although Keith David's been like very active in games for a long time. Anyway, I think like the combat is really, really fun. I think like, I think kind of just letting go of the pretense of turn-based combat or like being more traditionally Final Fantasy has allowed the combat in this game to feel so fully realized and unique. And I think it's great. Like I just got to the point in the story where without spoiling Clive, the protagonist now can wield two different icons and switching between fighting styles on the go is like thrilling. Yeah. Like that, that is kind of, I almost wish that happened sooner because I think that's where the game really like shows itself because before then it's fun, but it feels a little simple and then once you're able to it's very i mean you know 
there's a lot of Devil May Cry crossover here, but it reminds me a lot of like Dante switching the fighting styles like mid combat to keep combos going. Right. And that's very much what's happening here. And I think the the boss fights and specifically the boss fights where you transform into the giant summons are so genuinely thrilling that uh, this feels like the first game where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the PS5. Yes. Like, this is this is spectacle. This almost feels more like PS5 God of War than Ragnarok does. It is in terms of like <laughs> the boss fight. It feels like if God of War continued down the PS2 path. Yeah. It would be Final Fantasy 16. Totally. Um, without the like edgelords. I forget if I said this on the show or where I said this or if I even said this on a show. I might have just said this to you. But my feeling about the icon stuff in particular is like it just it just reminded me so much of seeing Final Fantasy 10 for the first time and being like, oh, my God, I can't believe video games can even look like this. Yeah. And I what I find so interesting about the icon or summon fights or whatever they're called is just like with that level of spectacle, it's still parsable and it's still fun and enjoyable. And I, I still feel like I have full control over what's happening, even though they're frequently taking control out of my hands to show me more cinematic moments. I still feel like I have agency over what's happening, Absolutely, which is, you know, kind of the dream for a scenario where you are essentially a kaiju fighting another kaiju yeah (laughs) so i think like all that like on its own right like this game is i think really really strong and really fun to play where i think it works a little bit less for me is like i just think some narrative beats shine more than others i think this game for me works the best when it's fully melodramatic the like game of thrones political stuff just completely loses me like the Mm. blowing smoke in each other's faces and being like (laughs) oh my plot is worth like all that stuff like it's fine and it's fun but like i think the really over the top stuff and the like moments between like the the dynamic between clive and sid really worked for me too i do care about the characters and i'm intrigued by the story but i just think like it just sort of there's like ebbs and flows and in, in sort of how invested i am and i also think the fact that it's divided into what are essentially levels just makes it feel less like that to me is where it doesn't feel like Final Fantasy because it doesn't feel like a big world that I'm learning. It feels like a a segmented series of set pieces. Mm. And that to me, like it's not bad. It just makes it a different experience. And it makes me less interested in sort of the setting than maybe the game wants me to be. Because mm. there's so many like Wikipedia, like this empire did this, this and this. And it's like, there's something about not being able to kind of see the world at my own pace that like makes that stuff feel less interesting. Um, and that's maybe subjective, but I I just think like I'm really enjoying the combat. I'm definitely interested in the story. I think some of the narrative kind of goes up and down, but overall, like it's working for me. And I think it's definitely like a comeback for the mainline series. I think, you know, 13 and 15 divisive games and kind of notably weaker in some areas 16 whether or not you like it more or less than those other two it feels like it's fully consistent with what it's trying to do yes it's just that all those elements don't work for me consistently Mm. if that makes sense yeah totally i think i think you know a lot of the stuff that you don't like i do like about this game and then there's a lot of stuff that i think you do like that i don't like so i I, I think (laughs) you know in terms of it's subjective yeah, yeah in terms of its divisiveness i i think it's like down to bullet points in terms of like just what they're even trying to accomplish here. But I think on the whole, I, I, I played over half of this game so far. Oh, you're much further than me. Yeah. I, I yeah. And uh, where, where I'm at in the game, I, again, I'm not going to spoil anything, but where I'm at in the game, I, I am really loving Clive as a protagonist. I think he's like 
one of the better protagonists in all of the Final Fantasy games that I've played, at least so far. I think I think he's a really interesting dude. Um, and and where his story goes and where his like emotional and and just narrative arc goes over the course of the game is really interesting. Some of the like larger set piece plot beats are just absolutely exhilarating. I think there's so much stuff that they get so right in this game. And honestly, some of the thing that really worried me about this game was when they said they wanted it to be like God of War and Game of Thrones. And I was like, I already have God of War and I have a recent sequel to God of War and I don't like Game of Thrones. So I was like, I I don't know if this thing is going to work for me. What I have found is that the Game of Thrones stuff doesn't feel as Game of Thronesy as I was expecting. Like from what I heard, or at least, you know, anecdotally, what, what it seems like people have shared online, rumor or not, I don't know, is that Yoshi P, who directed this game and Final Fantasy 14 um, or the Realm Reborn stuff in Final Fantasy 14, bought blu-ray copies of the entirety of game of thrones and gave it to everyone on the production team so they would have to like watch the whole thing and then use that as inspiration for this game and i think it seeped in just in the fact that it's like a dark kind of more realistic fantasy setting and not as much i think in the stuff that i think made game of thrones a bigger hit which is the like hbo of it all it's funny because when i think of game of thrones the stuff that really stands out to me is like your favorite character is going to die at any moment. And there's a lot of people fucking and like that's Game of Thrones. <laughs> and like the the thing, about, the thing that always bummed me out about that show outside of the fact that characters were dying as just like a way to make the show more interesting was specifically that they have this very rich fantasy world that goes almost wholly unexplored until from what I understand the last season, which I never made it to. But like, you know, there, there are all of these magical fantasy elements in the world of Game of Thrones that just really don't pop up very frequently. It ends up for all intents and purposes just being like a medieval show uh, where you're not really experiencing the fantasy or the wonder of it all. For the most part, you know, you get to see some wonderful cities and whatever. Final Fantasy 16 is doing all the stuff that I wanted Game of Thrones to do, but didn't, which I think is great. And I'm not having this moment where like characters are getting killed off willy nilly just for fun, just to like, you know, make it trend on Twitter the next weekend. Like if somebody dies in the game, it's a big deal. Um, There's a very, there's a huge one in the beginning of the, uh, in in the demo, which I won't spoil again, if you haven't played the game, but like the, the demo ends with a character dying. That's like so wild and like such a, such a, I think bold move. And I think the best, I'm not, I'm also not that big of a game of Thrones fan, but I recognize that like, the really iconic deaths in that show feel similar. Like I think there's yes. there's sort of like at its best, it feels like a deconstruction of fantasy. And at its worst, it feels a little bit like how Walking Dead ended up, where it just felt yeah. like who's gonna die this week? Yeah. You know? But the show the show feels a little bit almost embarrassed to be a fantasy show at times, which from what I understand, the books do not feel that way, which I haven't read, but, uh, but I, I've been told that the books don't feel that way. And what I love about final fantasy 16 is it's so unabashedly set in this final fantasy universe. Like, yeah, they, absolutely. They're so open about the fact that like some people know magic and some people don't, which is a whole thing that we could get to. Um, but you know, like Chocobos running around, the idea that there are these uh, these forces that are clashing on the battlefield constantly and, and one person on each side can turn into a giant titanic beast at any moment. Yeah, there's a great sequence where it's like two are it's a beautiful cinematic, like two giant armies running into each other. And one army has Bahamut and the other has Odin. Yes. And they're these like oh colossal my God. 
beast and then the the guy who is bahamut like flies away and you see him in human form like wipe his brow like get a glass of water in the tent and then go right back out yes. and it's like that is so fucking cool <laughs> like when this game like i i think i'm coming off a little bit harsher than i am i think when this game works like you scream fuck yeah yeah out loud and i think that that's really fun honestly I that same think- sequence seeing odin riding his horse over a mountain was like yeah the, just the scale of it is so yeah. hard to describe until you see it on the screen yeah it's it's really impressive and, and that's like i think that's harder to do than it sounds I just, I just find at least for myself that like graphics have gotten so good that we're kind of numb to spectacle like the last <laughs> game that has wowed me visually and graphically was ratchet and clank which was for different reasons than final fantasy 16 mm-hmm. yeah this game really understands like how to inspire awe in the audience yeah and it makes the moments that are like the bizarre early ff14-esque side quests in the home base feel like you're playing a different game right you know like going from that cutscene to bahamut to then going home and someone's like could you move five boxes for me like why is like i normally like side quests like that but i just think that's like definitely the weakest part of 16 is just sort of like i wanted that home base to feel like a garrick mock and it just feels like a sure waiting for me if i want yeah this was, this was honestly the thing that burned me out on the game a little bit which i i haven't gone back to yet i, I do want to finish it before the year is over because i've heard that yeah, i've heard the end is spectacular and i i do i do want to experience that but i i have not this is not even hyperbole i just straight up have not enjoyed any of the side quests like not a single one of them have i found really interesting either narratively or in terms of the way i've been rewarded as a player and eventually once you get i think like I would say a third of the way into the game, you start to unlock side quests that are um, very much like Final Fantasy 14. They're like green exclamation points instead of just like circles with question marks on them. And the exclamation point means that if you do that quest, I might be getting the, that iconography wrong, but if you do that quest, you get like a more interesting thing. Like one of the one of the side quests unlocks the ability for you to ride a Chocobo around the open world. Oh, cool. Which is great. Oh, there is an open world eventually. No, 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 no. I just the, the world spaces. Oh, OK. Got it. So you can you can eventually do a side quest that does that. And that side quest wasn't narratively interesting. And it gave me the ability to get a Chocobo, which didn't really matter that much, because, again, this is like a level based video game. So there are not that many spaces where I really feel like I need to be moving faster through them than I already am. So even that reward, which I was like excited about unlocking initially, as soon as I started riding the Chocobo around, I was like, I don't know if this matters as much. So what I'm really left with is just a game that I want to experience only the story of, which isn't bad. But it is ignoring a big chunk of what an RPG is to me, you know? That's a great way to say it because I'm definitely, like, as a huge Final Fantasy fan, I'm definitely not someone, like, I I love that they're all different. Like, I love, there's a line in the Gita Jackson review on Polygon, every Final Fantasy is someone's favorite Final Fantasy. Yes. And that's very true. Like, each one of these games, even the ones that are maybe lesser in terms of their overall reception, have very devoted fandoms and people who really advocate for those games which is why i want to go back to 13 and its various sequels and see if i can find that for myself but yeah i think 16 while i love what it's doing uniquely and and how distinct it is from other entries there are just sort of some basic bullet points that i do want from the series that it's missing yeah so i think you saying like it's missing what like an rpg should be that's totally right like even just the stuff like getting new equipment it's not visually represented. It just sort of like numbers go up and that's except so for your sword. Your sword is the only thing that gets visually. Oh, does it change? Yeah. Okay. That's good. At least that, but like, 
and maybe you know no I'm but i want i want new outfits and stuff yeah like, if right. you're gonna it's, give me the ability if you're gonna give me an inventory system with the ability to swap outfits yes yes exactly and show it on clive like as much as i love the fact that he has one little piece of like almost dental floss preventing us from seeing his pecs like i think i think that's <laughs> extremely hot i do want different clothes you know yeah um, like, if you're gonna give me one guy as the whole game <laughs> let me dress them up however i want yeah you know? and it's it's one of those things where just to be clear like there there's a lot of toxicity around this game on, on the internet and i don't want to really get into that that much but i do think a lot of it does stem from what people want out of final fantasy specifically yeah. and to be clear at least where i'm coming from and i know where you're coming from too because you and i've talked about this a lot over the years on this show is like you and i just want every final fantasy to be its own thing right and i feel like the the thing that this game gets wrong about final fantasy specifically is that it didn't commit hard enough to being its own thing. I think there are a lot of things where it tries to be other Final Fantasy games that holds it back a little bit. Like it almost feels like they just wanted to make God of War. Like they didn't they didn't actually want to make Final Fantasy at times. There are moments where I feel like this game is trying to just be a like PlayStation Sony Studios over the shoulder third person adventure game like a last of us like a god of war um where it then tries to be final fantasy instead but like doesn't really do either of them justice entirely uh which i think is a little bit of a bummer in in times but at the end of the day like the complete package is still one that i'm having a good time with and want to see through and like i'm enjoying the story and the characters enough that i'm probably going to continue playing it but there does feel like a kind of push and pull between what you would come to expect out of a final fantasy game and what was actually driving i think the the creation of this game and and the direction that they want to take it in at the moment it feels a little bit like a stopgap between final fantasy 15 and maybe what is going to happen in final fantasy 17 when they like fully commit to that vision yeah i mean but like compared to 15 i mean it's it's not to dunk on 15 more but like that game was the opposite where that game just had no central vision so the end result is like a totally disjointed experience. That's the thing with 15. Actually, it's it's good to bring up 15 here because the thing that really struck me about 15 was although I don't I don't think this the story or the game and, and including all the external media, which I did a whole episode about event like, you know, talked a lot about that in a previous episode, although all of that doesn't really coalesce into a great experience either. The thing that Final Fantasy 15 really nailed was maybe intentional, maybe unintentional, but it was literally just the moments riding around in the car with the characters. Yes. Like yeah, that yeah. sense of ensemble between those four guys in that car, some of the external characters that you run into in certain stops along the way, just like stopping and taking pictures or fishing or cooking or doing whatever. That was actually the more compelling part of Final Fantasy 15 for me. And that was I the totally thing I was more agree. excited about. Like the road trip of it all was way better than the like overending or, or the, the overarching plot. And yes. Final Fantasy 16 is sorely missing from moment or is sorely missing moments like that. Like there are moments in Final Fantasy 16 where I want to walk into a new town and feel like I can hang out there and yeah, not that, just that's not yes. just pick up a, a quest that's not going to be rewarding and then move on to the next plot beat. I also been thinking a lot about Final Fantasy 10 because 10 is a game that I think is maybe I would say the strongest setting in the series. Like I think the world of Spira and like how do you see organized religion affect every area yes. and like it just stunningly beautiful. That game is surprisingly linear. We don't really remember it that way yeah. because we remember like being able to see all these places and the variety of locations and what we're doing there. But that game really is 
also a series of levels if you look at the skeleton behind it, but it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. You know, there's a point where when you get the airship in 10, it's a little bit like cheating because like in seven, you're actually flying around in the sky in mm-hmm. 10, the airship is looking at a list of all the places you've been and selecting them. Yeah. And that's where you kind of see like the veneer has fallen off. It's, Oh, this is just a level based game. But again, because you can, you know, go back and there's reason to go back and those places feel a little bit more alive. Um, it feels more like a fantasy world where I think in this game, you know, the, and at least early, maybe it will change as I play it, but really incredible level design, like great set pieces. Like I, I like navigating these places, but it does feel a little bit more like, you know, do the thing we want you to do and then save mm-hmm. um, rather than like I'm living in this place. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also like, again, like it's kind of hard to say because I, I, I think it's easy to say there would be a way for 16 to have a little bit of that ensemble and world of 15 and kind of be like what we want it to be. But it's so laser focused on the combat and the like almost score chase element of like doing levels again to get better scores that again, I think you're right. It's like, that is what the game wants to do. They should have even dropped the other stuff even more. Yeah. If it's not even there, we won't even think about it because it's not what the game is trying to do. Yeah. Not to all, not to bring up the thing we always bring up when we're talking about stuff like this, but it's very much, I, I think it could have benefited from some design by subtraction moments, you know? Yeah, totally. All that being said, again, I think like, I imagine it will come up on game of the year. Like I I think it's a really strong game and I think it's a testament to this year that this game like got weirdly bumped in my like to playlist. There's so (laughs) much out. Yeah. Um, But I am, I am impressed by it. It's, it's not, and it's, I'll be honest. This is not how I want final fantasy to be. Like if, if you ask me like, what's your dream final fantasy, I would not say, game of thrones god of war uh one guy the whole game but they're doing it really well that i get why this was the goal yeah like i like i i'm sold on the vision of the game um and i'm enjoying it but yeah i mean like and that's again the beauty of the series like there's there's a favorite entry for everybody i love the like seven to ten era i love four and six mm-hmm. you know and i think what's what i'm most excited about is as the series continues seeing where this era fits in you know, like we won't really know where 16 falls in line with the series. What directions was it leading to? Like, where did it come from until like 18 is out, you know? Yeah, and like, right. I-, I think we all need to be a little bit better at like giving games time to breathe before we like give them their merit, you know, yeah, past final judgment. Right. Right. Because it's also, it's just funny how like quickly that stuff changes. Yeah. I- again, not to dwell on this conversation, but I think about like, everyone demanding Zelda go back to the 3d style when everyone was demanding it change when Skyward Sword came out. Mm-hmm. So you never really know where thing, where creativity is moving, but as it stands as of right now, I think 16 is a really fun game. I would recommend it if you have a PS five, I think it's a good, game. yeah, I, I, it's I a good time. like, like you just to be clear, uh, even though I was very critical about it, I am like loving it. I'm having a really good time with it. I love the combat. I think it's incredible. I, I, again, I, I think Clive is awesome. I think he's like, he's a good lead. He's so he's good. much softer than he comes off, yes. which I think is, is the uh, secret ingredient. Cause I think there's a version of this game that could have starred Jack. From yeah, Stranger I was about to say, yeah, there, there's, there is a, uh, there is a Limp Biscuit like edgy <laughs> Spencer's Gifts version of this game that I wouldn't want to play. And he's a little bit more, he's just very hurt. He's a very sad character. Yeah. And, you know, I think it, I think it's effective that you begin the game with like, there's a time skip, like in the early hours yeah. where you start the game as like teenage Clive and you see him, you know, in his 
formative years and then there's a time jump to the present and like that really worked for me yeah um and i think i think sid is like amongst the best sids of final fantasy i love that character probably the best one outside i mean for me he's only rivaled by uh sid as the shopkeeper in twilight town and kingdom hearts 2 you didn't like uh sid highwind in seven he's i mean he's very sad <laughs> very sad man you know who's also an underrated sid there's a Sid in 14 that you'll meet later on in Realm Reborn who's like a very handsome, uh, very like deus ex machina Sid that I think you'll enjoy. Okay, I'm very interested in that. I'm excited to get there. All that said, I'm going to finish Final Fantasy 16. I like it a lot. I, I have some issues with the way the story is going that I won't get into until we talk about it more holistically, I think, one day. Yeah, we'll do like a spoiler discussion at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. If you play more of it and I finish it and stuff, we could talk about it more. Um, I, I'll just say that a lot of my critiques about the narrative uh, are, are echoed by other better writers on the internet. Uh, <laughs> so you can, you can go find some of that stuff. But all in all, I think it's a really interesting direction for the franchise to go, and I'm excited to play more. Yeah. I am curious, like, what will stick, like... I, I, as much as just I think Clive. like, <laughs> no, I, I just mean like in terms of like what, what is 17 like? Yeah. There's so many directions for the series to go. And I, I don't know if just, just, just Clive, Steven. <laughs> just Clive. Clive is going to be in every Final Fantasy game from now on. He's the new Sid. He's the, he's the new Sid, except he actually just is the same Clive. <laughs> Clive's bizarre adventure. <laughs> All right. Let's take a break and uh, we'll be back with a few more games. Yeah. Great. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hello again. We have even more video games to talk about. I hope you're still with us. <laughs> One of the most anticipated games of the year for me was not Final Fantasy 16. Uh, it was not Street Fighter 6. It was, in fact, Remnant 2, the sequel to Remnant from the Ashes, a game you and I championed when uh, when we first played it, I think in 2018. Uh, I think it was the year after, but around, it was early on. Yeah. It was early on in our time. Yeah. Around, around when it came out. It, uh, uh, early enough that it was in our game of the year episode, whatever year it came out. Uh, yeah. you, and I, you and I like that game a lot. If you don't know about Remnant from the Ashes, it was a game that was pitched, I think, to a lot of people just as Dark Souls with guns. I think the big thing about it specifically that differentiated it, in, in my eyes at least, was its focus on cooperative play cooperative online play in particular you and i played through a lot of that game together which was really fun it was so uh, fun yeah but the game also was procedurally generated uh in that you would go visit these different worlds which we'll talk a little bit more about later but you go visit these different worlds and anytime you went into a world for the first time playing solo or cooperative or whatever it would essentially pick and choose a bunch of random elements for not only the layout of that world but also what story elements are popping up in that playthrough that you're doing right now and what bosses you're fighting in that world so imagine a dark souls game you know if we're, if we're to continue using uh the dark souls framework here imagine a dark souls game where you like left the 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 fire link shrine and ended up in a, a version of I don't even know the like shitty uh, poison pit that everybody hates that had completely different story elements and a completely different boss rounding out that area at the end of it. That is what Remnant was trying to do. And I think pulled it off pretty well. You and I liked that game a lot. It was really clear that it was not, you know, it wasn't, it's not an indie game. A lot of people call this a double A game, uh, gunfire games, you know, kind of a smaller studio uh, with smaller budgets than most triple A games. It was clear that it was like a double A game, but I think it was punching way above its weight. And although there were a lot of things that were obvious that needed to get fixed about that game, you and I still played it a lot. And even when you and I were done playing it, I played that first game a lot and ended up finishing it and then playing it a second time. Wow. Because again, they they just completely like re-roll the whole thing. You can play it uh, more than once 
And every time you play it, you'll have kind of a different experience. That game originally was going to have a bunch of DLC. They were going to like add a bunch of stuff that was going to expand the options, you know, give you other ways that you could roll new campaigns and things like that. Um, which they did do, I think one of, I think they released one of those expansions and then instead of releasing the second one, or I might be getting that wrong. It might be, it might've been two. And instead of doing the third one, they were like, you know what? We want a new foundation here. We have ideas that are much bigger than DLC for this thing. So we're just going to start from scratch and we're going to make remnant two. Uh, and that was, you know, in 2019 and in, uh, 2023, we now have the sequel remnant two, which honestly seems like is kind of blowing up a little bit, which I think is really exciting. Remnant two made a really big splash. I think mostly because a lot of people who maybe didn't play the first one got their hands on this game, you know, in early access and previews and press stuff. Um, and we're like, yo, this is, this is exhilarating, which I, I think, think is, yeah, I think remnant one also kind of has like midnight movie energy where I think it was kind of yeah. a slow burn. Like people got more into it in the years after it came out. Yes. What I saw. Totally. I think one of the things that's really special about this game that's really interesting to me in particular is uh, way before Rocket League, uh, Psyonix, the studio that made that game uh, for the PlayStation 4, made a game for the PlayStation 3 that was called, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think it was Supersonic Acrobatic Rocket Powered Battle Cars, I think was the name of it. And it's just Rocket League. It's literally just the same game, different art style, different title, uh, you know, it just doesn't look as good. And they clearly didn't have like the budget to totally wrap up their idea in a way. I think that 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 sold it or pitched it, you know, as effectively as it could have been, which is made evident by the fact that they took a second stab at making that game, called it Rocket League, new branding. And that game blew the fuck up, came out on yeah. PS4 immediately was, I think, uh, playable for free with everybody who had PlayStation Plus, And that game just like took off and is still, I think, a behemoth to this day. There's still people that play Rocket League and swear by it. This game, Remnant 2, feels so much like that same transition. It feels so much like they're just kind of doing all the same stuff that Remnant 1 did, just doing all of it better and packaging it in an even better way. This game makes the transition into Unreal Engine 5, which is, I think, one of the first games that at least I've played that has the fifth Unreal Engine underlying it, which, you know, a lot you could say about, like, how much does the underlying engine really change things? I think that's one of those things that, like, armchair, uh, like, game designers uh, or like, what is it? Backseat game designers really want to talk about on Twitter is like, Oh, it's on unreal engine five. So it must be better. Like that's not always the case. Um, <laughs> but in this case, I think being on a more modern engine will allow them to make the game more expansive and allow for easier development tools, at least to like totally. see their vision through, which is yeah. exciting and good. And the game just looks spectacular. I, I think like I'm playing on the PS five. It looks amazing. It looks like a PS five game, which is as you and I were just talking about with final fantasy 16 is not a thing that happens like super frequently at the moment. Like there aren't a lot of games that are coming out for the current gen of consoles that feel like they really only could have been made on the current gen remnant two is one of those for me, uh, visually, especially in some of the later worlds that I've found at this point. Um, but all that said, it's the first game again, even like down to some of the worlds you're visiting are the same worlds as the yeah. first one. <laughs> What's fun is that I think for a lot of people who are jumping into remnant two first, they're having their first ever experience with what this game's kind of magic trick is, which is the fact that there are these giant red crystals that you and your fellow teammates can put your arms on. And when you do, you teleport to what is ostensibly a completely different game. Uh, yeah. At any moment, you can just traverse the multiverse and you could go from a high fantasy world filled with Pan's Labyrinth people to a uh, dark Matrix-esque 
real world future filled with cyborgs and robots. I'm in, I'm in a place right now that is essentially just bloodborne, like for all intents and purposes, <laughs> um, that has like a weird, like Lovecraftian fairy council that has me essentially like running an investigation to see <laughs> like who murdered their King. There's just so much of this game that is completely out of left field and you will never have a good grasp on it. And that's what the first game was all about too. The first game was doing that exact same thing. It's just the second game is doing it all better. And what I love about it is that because I'm revisiting some places that I love, but also finding new places, I still feel like in the same way from Splunky one to Splunky two, like you feel like you have a handle on everything that's possible. And then you play Splunky two. It's like, Oh my God, they even made the mines harder and there's new stuff here. I feel the same way about remnant two where I'm, I, I just like can't get over how many moments I've been shocked and surprised and have like jumped out of my chair in complete <laughs> awe of what they've thrown at me. I think it's the only game and or piece of media that I want to jump the shark as often as possible. And mm-hmm. that's what it like. It, it's thrilling whenever it just throws something wild at you. I, I think both games have a really bad intro, though. Like, I think they yes. both like have a tutorial that makes it feel like it's a like TV movie version of the last of us. Yeah. And then it totally drops that. And then it's something else. Yeah. So it's like for both games, I would recommend like just kind of like, muscle through that part of it and then grab a friend and play and you'll have a great time. Yeah. Yeah. The, fir- the first game starts you off in kind of last of us world and you need to play through that entire section and beat a couple bosses in that world before you get the ability to like traverse the multiverse and like end up in a different space. And this game thankfully doesn't make you play through an entire level version of no, the it's like, like Last of Us world. Yeah. yeah. But it is like a lot of cutscenes where they're telling you a lot of story that like honestly like it it doesn't really for me at least it doesn't really connect like the story that i'm most interested in is just kind of the overarching version of it which is just like yeah there's this thing called the root it's pretty evil it's almost like the hive from halo i guess in some ways and it's taking over the multiverse you got to stop it and then the game becomes visiting all these different very disparate very like art directed entirely differently completely different tones worlds <laughs> and just seeing how the root is affecting those worlds in different ways and like just trying to figure out how to even make your way around them that's exhilarating that's fun for me yeah i also love both games have a really great leveling system where like yeah as you play you'll unlock like you start off with just classic like basic stats every time you level up you can invest points in one of those stats but then as you play and depending on what class you pick you'll unlock different skill trees that you can invest in it reminds me weirdly of disco elysium where like that game as you played you would just unlock different skill trees and in that case they'd be way more out there like when i when i played for the first time my character wanted to become a magnesium based life form (laughs) so that was just one of my skill trees that uh, popped up yeah um so you know it's a little bit more grounded than that but not by much it's still pretty out there because it's remnant too yeah but I, I've, I've been enjoying playing it. I, I haven't played as much as you, but I definitely think we'll play more together. And I've, I've been enjoying that a lot. I've played um, so much, Steven. <laughs> I've played so much of this game already. So so here's the, here's the thing about Remnant 2 that's really working for me. Remnant 2, even more so than the first one, I think, first of all, gets, gets the loop right. I think, yeah, I, I also spent a lot of time through our break playing Diablo 4, which I wasn't really planning on talking about a whole lot, but... 
Diablo four is the first Diablo that I've really connected with. I think it's the first one where like, I understand why people like that franchise and, and, you know, are, have been excited about a fourth entry for a long time. I got into that game and started to get into the rhythm of like leveling up my character, coming up with a build that I think is like fun and suits my play style, going into and out of dungeons and experiencing that, like kind of almost random loot, uh, hack and slash experience like that. That all worked for me. What I have found is that Remnant 2, though, is doing what Diablo is trying to do, I think, better than Diablo in a lot of ways. I think I think like the looter shooter thing um, that a lot of games have gone after, like Borderlands does it. Destiny does it. Remnant is doing it. I think I think Remnant 2 actually does it best of all of the games that I just listed because specifically they have not only brought back that thing from remnant one, which allows you to like go into a space and play through it and have your own kind of unique spin on it. But at any moment, instead of, uh, you know, just going and like playing through the entire game and then starting the campaign over again, there are two different avenues you can take. One of which is you can just re-roll your campaign entirely, which means that you can keep all of your stats, everything you've unlocked, but just start the game over from the top at the moment when they give you your first world. So you can go to a completely different world from the beginning. You can go back to the same world you're in, but have it, you know, get generated entirely differently if you want and experience and kind of tailor the game to your liking, which I think is very cool. That's great by itself. On the other side, when you finished a world, like you've made your way through the entire storyline in any of these worlds, it unlocks what's called adventure mode which allows you to roll a new version of that world separate from your campaign that has everything unlocked, not unlocked, but like everything available to you. So you can do every plot beat, fight every boss, do everything that that world has to offer. And when you're done with it, you can re-roll that same thing again. It'll be changed slightly, but you'll, you know, be doing all the same beats, but you'll still be leveling up. You'll still be getting more experience. You'll still be getting, you know, a bunch of materials and things that you can use to unlock even more things in the real world, stuff like that. All of that is very cool. I love that. On top of that, one of the things that I've been more interested in and have been having a really good time with, surprisingly, is also when you go up to the crystal, you know, you have your choice of all the worlds you can choose from. You can jump into adventure mode. And there's another section that's called join game, which is how you would like join the game if you want to play co-op with somebody else. But it not only shows you the people who are on your friends list who are currently playing Remnant, whose games you can drop into and drop out of at any moment, but it shows you a bunch of random people who just have their games like open to randos. And you could just jump into somebody else's world and just play alongside them for a little bit, which I've actually had a really good time doing. Um, Just finding somebody who's like done a world that I've already finished, you know, and jumping in being like, okay, I'm going to kind of like guide you through here. I'm going to, you know, see if like I, oh, okay, you're in the root nexus. You're probably stuck on this one boss, which is really hard to do as just one person. Like, let me jump in and help you out with that and that's been really fun and really rewarding and what it means is that i've experienced a lot more of the game than it seems like i have because i think in the campaign i'm like i don't know 30 percent of the way through or something but adventure mode on the like pan's labyrinth world i have like i think 10 or 11 hours just in the adventure mode (laughs) and then i probably have another 10 hours playing co-op with random people on the internet on top of that you and i played together we had a really good time yeah playing with uh, our friend brendan klinkenberg and uh and and our friend uh killian which has been really fun in the bloodborne world specifically because killian was stuck in the bloodborne world we went and like finished that the other day together as a trio which was really cool to play with three people um I I just think this game is spectacular. I just think it's so good and it's giving me everything I want and I'm constantly surprised by it. I love how outlandish they've gone with a lot of the unlocks that you can get. Whenever you beat like a named boss, it'll usually drop something that you can bring back into the real world and craft into like a a modification for your gun that makes your gun even weirder or like an entirely new weapon. I just got this gun that's called like the cube gun that shoots like these ricocheting bullets that also generates a shield around me. 
Um, I got just straight up the javelin from God of War Ragnarok um, <laughs> that just, you know, does the exact same thing. Like I can use it to fight people melee close up or I can throw it and then it immediately goes back to my hand. I got at one point like a big staff that I can use to uh, like just project a spectral deer out in front of me who just like <laughs> runs their horns through enemies in my way like there's just so much cool i wasn't expecting spectral deer to come up twice in this episode but, you know, <laughs> here we are. it's true i i just have been so so blown away by remnant 2 and it seems like a game that not only gets everything right but also has enough replay value that i think i'm going to be playing it for much longer than i was anticipating like i'm not bouncing off at all i find that remnant is the game that i'm booting up most times when i have time to play a game right now that's so good to hear i mean i definitely enjoyed it when we played together i i need to play more of it before i have like a fully formed opinion i think i, I think when you play more of it you're gonna be on my level yeah i just i will say i find the difficulty kind of off-putting that's like my one gripe with this game is i don't I think the way it's hard and like when we streamed it, we were trying to go down a series of stairs for like an hour. And I, I did beat that, by the way. It I just tough. don't know what we were supposed to be doing. And I feel like it has this sort of like retro level of difficulty where it's hard because it's like it's just hard to it's like obtuse, understand. Yeah. yeah. And like that can be fun, especially in a co-op session. But that's like my one major feedback is like, I, I think it is, it can be like in bosses, I enjoy it more, but just in like navigating an environment, I, I, I think this game could benefit from being a little bit more like go with the flow, you know? Yeah, they, they try, they try and spice things up where it's not always just like you enter a room and there's a boss and it's Dark Souls. You know, there, there, there are yeah. moments like the one that you and I experienced on that stream where the, the boss quote unquote is actually just like an environmental hazards and, yeah. and like problem solving <laughs> and puzzle solving, yeah. um, which I, I think it's, it's one of the newer additions to this game. The first one didn't really have as much puzzle solving. Like the world that you and I were in that we're alluding to right now was like almost Indiana Jones adjacent. There's like a lot of like dungeon crawling and kind of Uncharted-esque like puzzle solving that you need to do. And that that boss, that boss, quote unquote, is like the culmination of that where you just need to like make it down this set of stairs that's constantly trying to electrocute you. And there's like a lot of enemies coming at you. There's like a lot of stuff you have to manage. It feels a lot like a Destiny raid in a lot of ways, which is kind of fun. But it is tough and it does take a lot of attempts to make your way through i will say after our experience playing together that was really actually what set me off on my path of like i'm going to re-roll the campaign a bunch of times i'm experience a lot of this game i'm going to do an adventure mode i'm going to jump in with randos i'm going to like play with other friends where i'm at now is i have a build that i feel really good about because you can dual yeah. class eventually you can pick a class and, oh, then, cool. and then eventually you can get uh like a like a key that unlocks a second class and you can have two simultaneously which is really fun you can just like level them both up and like swap them in and out uh as as you will which is really fun there's a bunch of classes you can unlock that, uh, like ones that you can't start with that you eventually just like get through playing the game which is very cool but through all of that like finding a build that i like and then playing the game just a lot on my own i've just leveled up a lot like my character is just like <laughs> unstoppable good. now which yeah. is really fun and i've experienced so much of the game that i feel like i'm at that point that is so exciting with souls likes in my opinion where you've gone from i am terrified of every interaction to like i think i could probably make it through most of this world you know yeah. like there's a point in bloodborne where you go from i just want to see more of what this has this game has to offer me same thing with elden ring like once you get like halfway through elden ring it becomes less of like like you're, you're not not being careful when you're entering new spaces but you do feel a little bit more equipped to handle them. There was a point near the end game where I was seeking out dragons to level up. 
which yeah. would not be a thought I would even have in the first like 20 hours of that game. And that's kind of where I'm at with Remnant 2, even though I'm pretty early on in my own campaign. I'm at the point now where I am going up against harder things just to experience it, you know, and just to like get more experience and get more like weird drops to unlock more weird weapons, uh, which is a really fun place to be. I, I just think this is great. I, I, I really think this is one of my favorite games of the year. Um, this is That's so probably cool. going to be pretty high on my list by the time the year is over, if I was to guess. Yeah, I, I got to put more time. So I, I have enjoyed what I played, to be clear. I just I want to get I want to see the things you've seen. Yes. I th- Yeah. Again, I, th- I think uh, once once you've experienced some of the stuff that I've experienced uh, and and, you know, bash your head against the wall of some of these bosses and encounters and made your way to the other side of them, I think you'll be really stoked about where this game goes. I'll probably also hop into some random games, too, because my class is a medic and I feel like that would probably be a pretty welcome. Yes class in a lot of groups yeah so. right right now i am the gunslinger and the handler which is the one that has a dog uh, oh that's awesome which is really fun as like a dual class to have because i'm i'm not only like really powerful as the gunslinger but because i have this dog companion who like heals and you know helps and attack and like draw enemies away um i kind of have the best of both worlds where like i'm playing the class technically that's like built for solo play but also i have all of the gunslinger abilities which just make me like super powerful great ranged attacks uh stuff like that it's just it's so fun to mix and match this stuff it feels like you really can't go wrong with with the dual classes also it feels like you can kind of make anything work that reminds me too we forgot to mention the dog in final fantasy 16 torgal oh torgal's the best one of the best final fantasy characters <laughs> I, I love the dog so much it was so funny how before that game even came out they were like and you can buy a 150 dollar torgal plushie uh just because we know that this thing is going to be a huge deal <laughs> it's uh you know it's a dark enough game that moments of levity are are really like sid and torgal do add a lot to having this like found family in that game yeah but anyway yeah remnant 2 remnant 2 (laughs) didn't mean to accidentally steer it back to final fantasy but that's kind of what i'm here for so (laughs) i mean remnant 2 frequently steers it into final fantasy territory (laughs) to be clear the the space i'm in right now very final fantasy the chance of a moogle just showing up and remnant eating the legal costs of that are non-zero yeah you know yeah yeah there, there's a there's a version of this game that becomes like super smash brothers adjacent <laughs> remnant 3 is gonna have nba street volume 2 in it <laughs> um didn't, didn't you compare uh canon spike to remnant i was thinking about that like in terms of the dreamcast yes. connection yes yeah yeah it is kind of similar yeah yeah we got to play it more uh, I, I would all like literally always down. It's, it's a game I'm playing more than any other game right now. Let's do it. I'll, I'll trade you a session of remnant for a session of street fighter. Okay. And we'll, we'll grow alongside each other. That sounds fair. Sick. Uh, cool. You want to take a small break and then get to our last game. Yeah. Wow. We're finally there. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Brendan. Yes. Steven. There's one more game on our list for today. Baldur's Gate sweeper. Stop it. (laughs) Oh my God. I don't know what it is about Minesweeper that just like really is a wet willy every time. I genuinely just said stop it and banged both of my fists like a big baby. Stop it. Minesweeper this, Minesweeper that. Dude. I'm gonna explode. I'm just saying, you know, you got ones all around here. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? I have no idea. Baldur's Gate 3. Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, This is probably, I mean, I feel like this whole year is full of very highly anticipated games. This has been the one for me, though. I, um... 
I guess just before we get into the game, I wouldn't mind talking a little bit about like the lead up to it, if you don't mind. Sure. It's interesting because I feel like CRPGs, for lack of a better term, are kind of like one of the bigger blind spots for both of us. We both love Mass Effect at this point, but like I, I think the first game kind of like this that I got really into was Dragon Age Origins, which I brought up to the show and is one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite games and I've also played you know like the fallout series and and stuff like that but Dragon Age Origins was like the one that clicked for me and then I tried to play Divinity Original Sin 2 which is another game by Larian Studios who now makes Baldur's Gate 3 previously was Bioware or Bioware previously worked on Baldur's Gate I should say Divinity Original Sin 2 was originally a game that I really admired, but just really struggled to enjoy. Yeah. Like I, I understood why people had a reverence for it, especially as someone who loves D and D like I would say what Larian is known for is like, they really understand that one of the main appeals of tabletop is just the limitless possibilities. And so divinity original sin two was a game that really allows you to role play like in infinite ways the 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 possibilities in that game i I mentioned often like that is a game where if if a major character is walking on an icy road they could just slip and die and that's it for that character right if you you don't have a (laughs) resurrection scroll and i i really enjoyed it but initially when i played that game i just felt like it kept keeping me at arm's length because as as much as i wanted to get lost in it i just found it to be so punishing and so inscrutable at times that like I, I really struggled to have it be like a game that I wanted to play. And I put a lot of time into it. I did revisit it this year. And I just think knowing the game better, it worked way more for me. I, I really did like get it in that second playthrough. Mm-hmm. And I think similarly that happened with Dragon Age Origins. I just think these types of games, you kind of have to play at least twice because the first playthrough you're just going to be learning how everything works. And then once you kind of have that vocabulary, you can then appreciate the scope because now you can be like, oh, wait a minute, I can I can try to do this. I didn't even know that that was an option before, but I can try to do that now. Or I can, you know, I feel more empowered to role play because I know what's possible. Hmm. I played Baldur's Gate 3, the early access. I want to say like at the very, I was, I think it was like early 2022, maybe even 2021. Yeah. Um, so at that point it was still in a spot where things just like straight up didn't work, but they made it very clear at that point. Like this is not like even in beta, this is like us making the game. Mm -hmm. You were already glowing about it. That's what I mean. Even in that state when like things didn't work and I just had to sort of meet it where I was at. I was like, when this comes out, it's going to be a huge deal because in in my limited time with it, it just felt like everything I liked about divinity, but way, I shouldn't say way more, but like enough approach, like approachable enough that it was like an easier sell for me at least. Yeah. And also very much like, the platonic ideal of a Dragon Age game. It feels so much like Dragon Age Origins 2 in the best way. Mm. Where like you have the campsite, you have these characters. The biggest thing is that like the dialogue with the characters are, you know, these like fully animated, incredibly voice acted moments. Yeah. That just like, you know, in Divinity Original Sin 2, there is a little bit like you kind of the narrator has to do a lot of that and like only so much is animated because it's it's always from that sort of like sort of a you know tabletop view i just felt like oh when this game comes out it's gonna be like the carrying of the baton from like the best of bioware yeah um and also the best of larian and i was right it's the best game (laughs) ever uh that's the show if you like us uh you can follow us into the cast no i'm kidding but like it just 
I am in love with it. Like, I, I just think it's, it really, like, I'm glad that my hunch, at least for myself, has proved true. Yeah. And um, I think that it really is, like, immediately one of the most impressive role-playing games I've ever played. Like, without being too hyperbolic, you know, the game just came out. I think it's easy to have that, like, glowing view of it when we don't know the game that well. But I've, I've played a disturbing amount of it, and I'm still pretty early on given the scope of the game. But, like, I really love the world. I love the characters. I love who my character is becoming mm. and I'm con- every now and then I'll have to look up a guide. If I'm like stuck in a certain quest, like what should I do? Or did I miss something? And I'll, I'll loosely just gloss over what like could have happened. And every time I'm like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, just knowing what's possible, even in the early hours of the game, uh, I w- just for context, I am in just past what was available in the finished early access. Mm. So like the game is kind of loosely divided into acts and I'm like approaching the end of act one. So like you can kind of it's kind of hard to to map progress in the game because it's so open at a certain point that right. like you can really go in any direction. And, and you know, I'm sure as the game continues, you know, to to reach more people, we're going to see crazy runs of this game yeah but overall most people are gonna like meet like you know i'll I'll get into how the game opens but most people are gonna be led to like the first kind of chapter the game revolves around this village where there's like uh tiefling refugees and druids and that's sort of like how that conflict resolves is kind of the first chapter so i've like finished that and i'm beginning the next beat of the story but it's really hard to put into work. Like, there's so much to talk about that I'm like at a loss of what to praise. But I think that that feeling that you get in the best moments of divinity, where you really feel like you can approach a scenario any way you want to, you know, you can like get it, just like go up to like a guard and get into a fight if you want to like brute force your way through a scenario. You are rewarded for role playing in more ways than one to the point where like when you make a character, you choose their background. So my character is a dragonborn monk who is a folk hero. So whenever I go out of my way to like save the underdog, I get points of inspiration that let me re-roll. And every character has that. And like, that's just one example of the game kind of encouraging you to think about like, who is your character? The game is not about like being the strongest or, uh, you know, unless you want it to be. And that's the thing. It's like the game is really, it, it, it is so impressive at how many angles you can meet it at. And like, yeah, I, I kind of want to hand it off to you because I want to hear how your experience has been going before I get too into the specifics of like how it opens and the characters and, and the combat and stuff. But how, how has it been working for you? Because I know you haven't even you know, amongst the two of us, you have less experience in this type of game than I do. Yeah. Uh, really, really resisting the urge to make another Minesweeper joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> it ain't no Minesweeper. Yeah. All I'm saying is I love uh, clicking on those ones. Um, I like you tried to revisit Divinity Original Sin 2. You, you and I, played it uh a couple of years ago for the show and then revisited yeah. it recently you you brought it back to the show and that that encouraged me to re-download it and give it another shot and again i could not get into it like i just yeah. found it i just found it a little bit too obtuse and almost too open for me to even really sure. fully understand yeah. how to play it and the thing about divinity original sin 2 for me was i don't feel like the game was really interested in teaching me how to play it also yes they're just like here's every opportunity here's every option here's ev- here's everything <laughs> just good luck you know go yeah, for it yeah. which right is freeing and exciting i think for some people and for me i was like i need 
I need something here. Like, I need you to give me something. Exactly. I felt the same way the first time. Yeah. Which is why when I went back to play it again, instead of creating a character, I just picked one of the ones that they let you choose. Because oh, got it. Just yeah. just like in, you can do this with Baldur's Gate 3 as well. But instead of creating your own character in Divinity Riddleton 2, you can just like pick one of your potential party members like there are a bunch of party members that you will eventually pick up and you could just play as them instead which is cool and in Baldur's Gate 3 I was like you know what I feel like the actual definitive experience here is like you need to make your own character I feel like picking picking a pre-rolled character in this game specifically is a little bit of like a maybe on your second or third playthrough do that yeah Um, so create a new character was really kind of anticipating having similar issues to Divinity Original Sin because I mean just from like marketing material alone it seemed like the game was very similar, right? So open-ended that it could be daunting and almost even paralyzing in, in the ways in which sure. it was going to yeah. be difficult to figure out what was an option. I will say pretty pretty definitively on my end, at least, that this game is so much more approachable in uh, in every way. Like, I, th- I think this game is so much better, even though I don't think it's better at tutorializing its opportunities and, and its options. I think it's better at displaying what's available to you in a parsable way that allows anyone, I think, whether you have a history with this kind of game, whether you have a history with D&D even, uh, whether you have a history with, you know, really just our, our friends over at the Triple Click uh, podcast call it crunchy. <laughs> you know, like, this kind of crunchy, like pretty numbers-based you know, visible dice rolls ass video game. If you don't have a history with any of that, I still think Baldur's Gate 3 has something for you. And I think that's pretty evident in the fact that like it very quickly became one of the top 10 most played games of all time on Steam in terms of concurrent players. And it's only available on PC right now. It's already the number one most pre-ordered game on the PS5. Like this game is just blowing up, I think, past even the niche, because when when you and I talked about it initially, what I what I thought was interesting was like for you, someone that this game is absolutely made for ground up, <laughs> this yeah. is made for Stephen Hilger. Like it's it's a knockout. It's like perfect. It's exactly what everyone has always wanted from this genre. It is it is not only that, but like the evolution of that. It is, you know, kind of like a home run in every single way for that kind of player. But I don't think it would have reached this kind of critical mass both in terms of its PC player base and also the potential console player base, were it not for the fact that the game is approachable enough to be playable by pretty much anyone with even a passive interest in like just fantasy role playing. Yeah, it reminds me so much of when Skyrim came out. I was was just about to bring this up. Yeah. Yeah. Like going back to Game of Thrones, like I think there was a there's always like a weird like a bar of like what are the accepted levels of of nerdiness in like mainstream society right and like it bumped it's kind of funny to think about because skyrim now is so mainstream that like to think of it as a niche thing is silly but when you think about our muse oblivion like oblivion was a huge game for people who liked fantasy rpgs yes skyrim was a huge game for people that previously only got the new call of duty every year right like it, it really broke through to to, and not to like, I'm not trying to, you know, talk down anybody who, who does that, but it's like for people that didn't follow video games, Skyrim was an intriguing enough prospect yeah. that they went out and gave it a shot and loved it. And I think when you look at the era that it came out, it was that kind of like grounded, realistic approach to fantasy storytelling that people were really craving at the time and then only became more popular in in the in the rise of game of thrones on hbo exactly and i honestly i would credit like a lot of actual play podcasts to like making D way more popular like, yeah. on, a, on a mainstream level and like the idea of a game like this being a, a huge hit 
it is like even in the last five years, like when Divinity Original Sin 2 came out, like I, I do think that, yes, this game is like a little bit it, like the UI is noticeably better. And I also think the big thing, too, is that this game runs off fifth edition, which, yeah, for context, like D&D, there are a you know series of different handbooks. There's like a new one released every so often. And fifth edition is the most recent one. And I would say it's pretty universally accepted as like the one to play. Right. Because it's less interested in 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 rules and more interested in like giving rules to give role playing weight. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think one of the best additions in fifth edition is the advantage or disadvantage system, which happens a lot in Baldur's Gate three, where like in previous editions, for those who don't know D&D, essentially it all runs off your character sheet, you'll have numbers for all your stats, you roll a dice, you'll add the right modifier for what you're trying to do. And based on the number, the dungeon master or DM will tell you like how it plays out. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it's theatrical, a lot of it's like trust and improv and like collaborative storytelling. And you're using the numbers to dictate how something goes. Yeah. You could actually play D&D with like just a 20 sided dice. And if you have a strong enough group, you can get away with that. Right. The opening pages of fifth edition are so great because they're like, no campaign's going to use every rule in here. Like use the rules that benefit your session. Yeah. And that's what Baldur's Gate 3 has done. Like it's not like there. If you want to have a game that's all about like resource management and your characters like will get hungry there's a whole thing about like, you know, how hungry they can get and what will happen and how that will affect the dice rolls. But also like the way Baldur's Gate 3 handles that is like, do you have enough supplies to have a night at camp? Cool. That's all you like. You're yes, good. Right. You know, and like them choosing where numbers matter is very clear. But I think fifth edition is just like streamlined in a way that makes people more excited to play it and less intimidated. And the advantage system is essentially if you wouldn't be good at something if you're playing a character who would like naturally have an edge in the scenario you would have the advantage which you roll two dice and choose the higher number and that's such an efficient way of like rolling with the moment you know yeah um and i think Baldur's gate 3 running off that rule set also just like on a surface level fifth edition is very popular so I think like the percentage of players who have a working knowledge of fifth edition is probably fairly high compared to whatever on earth divinity is running off of. <laughs> right. Which is like an unknown text that's in like dead Latin. But yeah, Baldur's Gate, I'm really glad that that's working for you because I, I, I was trying to gauge like, is this more approachable or am I just getting more experience with this type of game? Okay. You so I, I think the caveat there is that I, I personally am finding the game to be extremely difficult. Like the... Yeah even though I feel like I'm having a better time with it than I did with divinity or even with dragon age in, in a lot of respects or some of the earlier Bioware stuff, which I've tried playing, I, I still am finding myself running up against walls, both in terms of like the combat and not knowing all of the options I have available to me at all times. I, I think the game does a pretty good job of like when you're in combat, which becomes a turn-based combat experience when you're in combat, you know, they, they show you pretty clearly how far each character can move you can see the sight lines of enemies. That's great. You can bring up uh, if you're playing with uh, controller support like I am because I'm playing on the Steam Deck uh, without a mouse and keyboard. You get to bring up these like radial dials that will just yeah. show you like all of They're your awesome. abilities, all of your spells and then all of the like other actions like the ability to just jump or dash or like I jump push somebody. Do you? I love jumping. Yeah. So that that's the thing I would recommend is like it's really worth reading either like an in-game tutorial or even just the fifth edition handbook of what those 
general actions anybody can take mean because there are some really like crucial helpful actions that you may not you might just default to what your like class can do and not what everybody can do mm. like there's one move i don't know if you knew this but there's a move called disengage do you know what that is yes i just started using disengage recently which is super yeah helpful. so disengage essentially is an action everyone can take and you get two actions per turn and a bonus action so basically like if a character ever leaves a threatened square like if you're like next to an enemy and you try to walk away even if it's your turn, leaving a threatened space on the map will provoke an attack of opportunity where the enemy will swing at you as you try to walk away. Yeah. If you disengage before that, you'll be able to walk away without provoking that attack of opportunity. And then there are characters like rogues, for example, can disengage as a bonus action, which is great because then you still get your whole turn. Mm -hmm. It sounds simple and it is, but stuff like that, just kind of going back to my point of like knowing what's possible once you kind of know what all your abilities do and what they mean, you can really think about like, okay, where are we fighting? How can I use the map and my abilities to like give me an edge? Because pretty much every combat event, especially early on, you're at a severe disadvantage. Yeah. And pretty early on, like I think I think the game does a pretty good job. I'm playing on balance difficulty. And like usually when fights are hard, it's to kind of encourage you to approach them differently. So like I actually, there's a video of me playing the first couple hours of the game on our YouTube. And one of the first encounters, uh, you're, you know, shipwrecked on the beach. I'll get to the opening because I really do want to talk about it. Um, but you're shipwrecked on the beach and you have to like find like a safe place to be. And one of the first places on the beach is the, is the shipwreck. And like there are these weird brain creatures on it that like will one shot you. You know, so like that, it's kind of a tutorial moment where it's like you actually might be better off just like hiding and avoiding combat altogether. Mm. Or, you know, there there are a lot of cases where you might like I think having a few spell casters is always helpful because there are so many spells that just like let you manipulate nature or like just make a giant sheet of ice so everybody slips when they try to walk down a certain thing. Yeah, it can be frustrating. I think the game is very difficult and I would probably recommend playing it on the easier difficulty starting off. But it's thrilling when you get something to work like it's thrilling when you're able to like creatively finagle your way out of like a doomed battle. It, and I think what the game is going for, and maybe they do a little bit too good of a job, is giving combat a lot of weight. So that way, like you're kind of encouraged to not just brute force your way through every problem. It, it makes really tense moments of dialogue where like you have to roll for persuasion or performance or deception like it makes those moments like nail biting this is the thing about the game for me is like if i if i was to give one point of criticism which i think will probably fade away the more of this game i play and the more comfortable sure. i become with the combat is that i think this is just purely from like a design and like messaging standpoint i think the game does a much better job of creating those moments where i feel like i have a lot of options and a lot of things at my disposal when i'm in those dialogue scenes than i do in combat currently because when i'm in combat i'm given 45 thousand options all at once <laughs> and when i'm in dialogue with somebody i can very clearly see the different ways i can role play and there are a lot of in almost every piece of dialogue in which your character speaks there are always a bunch of things that will 
you know, allow you to role play better or allow you to make a completely bizarre decision or whatever. And those are the moments where I'm like, okay, well, for this dialogue option, I have to roll for persuasion for this dialogue option. I have to roll for this and this one. Oh, okay. I'm playing as a paladin. So I get this dialogue option. And for this one, I can use my weird like telekinesis ability or my telepathic ability to like infiltrate their mind. And this one is like serial killer adjacent, whatever. Um, (laughs) And that's, that's the stuff that I find the most engaging, which has been great for me because I've been playing as a character who has extremely high persuasion and is super intimidating. And those two options do appear pretty frequently for me. And it's the first time where I've been able to experience a game like this, which I feel like is the thing that Bethesda tries to do. And I feel like doesn't really nail in, I'm going to say any of their games, maybe except for new <laughs> Vegas, which is the one that I think most people would argue is like, and the that's one more that, obsidian. That gets it right. Yeah. yeah. Which is obsidian, but I am, I'm playing mostly through dialogue And it's the moments where I get into combat. And I think this is just partially how I rolled my character. It's the moments where I get into combat where I'm really kind of fucked because my character is so focused specifically on persuasion and intimidation that like if things break bad or if my roles don't, you know, get me through those checks, then I'm kind of fucked if I'm in combat at all, which, you know, that's also role playing the character that I made in a lot of ways. And that's that's exciting. And that's like that's powerful in its own way. But I'm so bad at the combat <laughs> that like, and I, I think you'll get better as like, it's probably. definitely difficult, but I think that th- I think you're right that that will fade as you play. I just don't, I, I don't feel that anything is possible itch when I'm in combat the way I do when I'm in dialogue. I think, I think is the, the point that I'm trying to make. What, here. uh, what character have you gotten the full cast yet or, or no? Uh, I don't know about the full cast, but I have a full party and, and okay. then some. I think some of the magic ability, I mean, it's not like anything is possible, but I, I just think like, and also what, what level are your characters, you know? I want to say three or four. I'm, I'm at the point where I've like specialized everybody. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out. I mean, I think um, I found that like level three is kind of the turning point where you choose like everyone's specialty. Yeah. And what's great, what's so nice is that like you can only have a party of four and everyone else hangs out at your camp, which is like, your kind of hub area that I am obsessed with. Very Garrick Maki. Yeah. And uh, everyone's level stays the same. So like when you swap someone back in, you haven't used in a while, they will also be the same level and you can like go and level them up and adjust their stuff, which is great. Wait, you mean they're the same level they were when you got rid of them? No, no, no. They will catch up to where you're at. Oh, so like, okay. That's that's more interesting to me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What I mean is like if you're level four, but you haven't used Astarian since you got him, if you switch him into the party, He'll be he will four. have received... Well, he'll still be level one, but you can level him up to level four instantly. Oh, okay. And then just choose what he gets because you can customize them a little bit. But okay, that, that is actually good to know. Yeah, that way you don't have to like worry about, you know, because I, I do like changing it up, changing it up depending on like where I'm going. And the characters, I think, are really fully fleshed They're out. They're amazing. And, and yeah. They've, they've got really, I, I want to talk about them in a bit, but I going to your role-playing style, what I love about this game, too, is that the way they handle alignment is very much the Dragon Age approach where characters will approve or disapprove of your actions. Yeah. And that will kind of raise their affinity towards you and unlock kind of more of their dialogue and potentially romance options. But we'll just sort of like progress their quest in a lot of ways, too. And there are characters that kind of enjoy or approve of various play styles. So like Shadowheart would probably love you because she like always approves options that avoid combat through like being persuasive or deceptive. Yeah. Um, Because she is a cleric of the goddess Shar, who is like the goddess of deceit and tricks which is great but then there are characters like a who just wants to like fuck everything up so if you yeah. play as like 
kind of just chaotic. bluntly as yeah, yeah chaotic exactly so actually unless you had more to say about like the overall thing i wouldn't mind like talking a bit about how the game opens narratively. yeah i feel like so. i feel like i'm on your ride you, you go for it. <laughs> okay so this will be spoiler free but I, I think one of the hardest things and one of the best things about talking about this game is just like everyone comparing their own experience because there's so much that can be different even in the early hours yeah, totally. so it does have that feeling of like wait, that happened for you? Or like, how did this play out? So the game begins on a uh, Mind Flayer ship. It is essentially like, it's essentially like an alien spaceship, but everything is biological. Yeah. It's like one of the cooler ship designs. It kind of looks like a Nautilus, actually, going back to see. Yeah, I think it's called that. the Nautilus also. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you are a captive on this ship and there's a Mind Flayer who are pretty classic D&D villains. They're these like evil wizards with squid heads. Yeah. Uh, you probably have seen them in some way. Yeah, you've heard of them if you've watched Stranger Things. Yeah, they are. Uh, they have captured all these people and there's a pool of like this insect larva that they are like putting in people's heads pretty horrifically. Yeah. So like they'll place it like on someone's eye and then it will like squirm into their brain. And they do that to you and a few other characters. And then pretty quickly the ship gets attacked by Githyanki who are the mortal enemies of the Mind Flayers that are all riding dragons. And in the midst of the chaos, you find a few other people who are on the ship, escape, the ship crashes, and you wake up on the beach. It does weirdly feel like the Divinity opening, where like there's this kind of uniting event where everyone is like trying to get out of a place together. Yeah. Like in the case of Divinity, you have the source collar on. But I think it's, a this is, I think, a better approach because I think a lot of that game, because you're like a captive, it's hard. You feel like you can't do anything for a long time yeah. <laughs> in the beginning hours of that game. But essentially, like you crash land on the beach, you run across a variety of other characters who you'll like telepathically know that they also have the tadpole in their brain. And you're all like, okay, I don't care who you are. We We should like venture together and find someone who can take this out of our head because the whole idea is that this is how mind flayers reproduce they'll put this parasite in someone's brain and then they will become a mind flayer in like a, a day or two right and it's a really cool inciting event and it's also like a really weird inciting event because it's sort of it could potentially have the fallout 4 problem where it's like why would I deprioritize this? Yes. You know, because it's like, this is a, this is a crisis that could like kill me any day. Why would I stop what I'm doing to help the tiefling village out? If there's this like thing in my head, what the game kind of quickly establishes is like, there's more going on. This is not like it, pretty quickly. One of the characters is like, if we were going to turn, this would have happened already. Right. Like, why are we still human? And why is this actually giving us powers? Yeah. You know, why are we able to... Why is this to, all like, positive? Yeah, why is this helping in, us? And then, instead of being the most horrific thing to ever happen. The game kind of quickly becomes... Like, the central plot is sort of that mystery. Is like, what are these things in our heads? Are they good, even? Mm -hmm. Are they bad, are they bad, but are they a necessary evil to confronting the larger evil that made these things? There's a whole cult around this. And I think it's a really like great mystery to be the spine of the game. But I think what I've been even more intrigued by is just like getting to know these characters better and like the sort of smaller problems across the map that you find is as you explore yeah. and as you choose to help people or not. And I think what's brilliant is like in everyone's story, there is something parasitic about their character or there's some type of like duality to them. Like every, every like Shadowheart who you meet, she is a cleric of Shar, and she pretty quickly reveals that she's on this like top secret mission 
and and kind of has this front of like not caring about anybody. But I think as you get to know her, I would say she's one of the more caring characters in the, in the plot. Yes. And like, you know, my character and her are very close and she's just become like a good guy, basically. I'm sure that will develop more. But I think like you kind of see the good beneath her and then you start to question like, well, wait a minute. Like she had to wipe her memories for this mission to Char. Who was she before? Mm-hmm. And there's that kind of mystery with her. Um, then you have someone like Astarian, who I'm obsessed with, who's this like Tim Curry vampire. Yeah. It's funny that they that they pretend that him being a vampire is a reveal in the game. Yeah. I was so, I was when my character like had the dialogue options and all three of them were like some form of shock and awe that he's a vampire. I was like, what are you talking about? He's 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 the guy on the front of the box bearing his fangs. Yeah, under the Baldur's Gate logo. <laughs> every time you go to camp, there's usually like an event that will happen and the game will tell you like someone wants to talk to you. Yeah. There'll be like a little scene. And I went to sleep one night and then I woke up and he was about to bite my neck and he was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like, Let's just get over this. All right. Yeah. Um, and like he's just he's like probably evil, but he's just so charming. You want to doesn't make matter yeah. for him. Yeah. And I think he's some people, uh, you know, the, the alignments are like lawful, neutral, chaotic and then good, neutral, evil. And I feel like there's a secret one just called chaotic stupid where like <laughs> someone just wants to like mess around and like fuck with the game. Yeah. And he's that I, I don't think he's like I don't think he's a good guy, but I've also been impressed by his backstory. I don't think it like condones his actions, but I think he's a more interesting character than he lets off. Yes. If you choose to get him or get to know him. And then, you know, basically every character that comes off as good has more going on. Do you have, and has do you have like, Gale? Do you have Gale in your party? I, I love Gale. Yeah, my my main party is Gale, Shadowheart, and uh, Carlac. I don't know if you got her yet or not. I, I did, yeah. I, I haven't used her at all. That was that was why I was asking about the leveling system. Yeah, Carlac is a, a barbarian, and she has like a infernal engine in her heart. And she's like, <laughs> I would say she's like the definition of chaotic good, but she has this like, he, she and Gale both have like, a magical device in their chest that needs to be like appeased. Mm, um, right. And I, it's kind of funny because when, when like it comes out to the whole camp that Astarian is a vampire, they're all like, eh, whatever, like throw it on a pile of weird shit about all of this. Yeah, like, exactly. And I think what the game is seemingly exploring is like what happens to one's identity when you're controlled by an external force, Yeah, whether it's totally a mind flayer parasite or even just like, societal things like oaths to clerics like i think that is where the story is really thrilling to me because it's really even the moments that seem like the game like clearly these parasites are probably not good there's enough mystery that you're intrigued by them Mm -hmm. and without saying too much there is a whole optional skill tree that is a total jump scare that like i when that was revealed i was like this game is unbelievable yeah and i think it also just like it does what I expected to because it's Larian and I know that they know the appeal of D and D the freedom, the, the, the crazy amount of things you can do in any scenario, like how it will accommodate every style of role playing. But I think what I'm most intrigued, what I'm most surprised by pleasantly is just like how much I care about the cast. Cause as, as, as much as I think the divinity cast was interesting, there was always kind of a layer of separation between me and them, like mm. they were kind of unlikable characters. And I think here everyone is flawed, but they all have potential. Yeah. And I think it really does make, at least the way I'm role playing, I truly feel like I'm a leader in a way where I'm like trying to meet everyone where they're at and like 
really bring out the best in them. And I think a lot of the monk dialogue helps with that because it's a lot of like, you know, wisdom and, and saying like, you know, no judgments basically. Yeah. Similar. Um, I'm, I'm playing as a paladin, uh, very similar on my end where every once in a while, like the dialogue options when I'm talking to the entire group are very much like, like Stan making, uh, like, like monologuing at the rest of the kids in South Park. You know? <laughs> yeah. Who you mentioned, Gail, who's your party? Are there, are there favorites you have amongst the cast or not really yet? Uh, no, I mean, I, I have this, I have the same party as you except, um, swap in. Well, yeah. Who, who, do, who do you not have in your party right now? Uh, I don't have Lazel, Astarian, or Will. Uh, they're all at camp. Okay, yeah, Astarian's in me, in, in my in my party. So it's Astarian and Gale and Shadowheart right now. Nice. See, that was my party for a while, and then I, I felt like I needed a little bit more of a tank with the Barbarian. Yeah. But Astarian is, like, so good. And when it's his turn, he goes, careful, I bite. Yeah. I'm like, this is the best game I've ever played in my life. I just, like, just the amount of things that can happen in this game is so wild. Like, I, I, I don't want to spoil where i'm at or like what's happening but i I, w- I was just in a combat scenario with a bunch like a lot of people and you know you can go and like I, i've been having a really good time shoving people into bottomless pits which has been really fun <laughs> and it never really occurred to me that that was also a thing that the enemies could do to me <laughs> and right, I, had, yeah. I had a moment where like i had my party of four just kind of standing on top of these rafters fighting off from afar because we all have like range spells and range magic. So from afar, we're like fighting all of these people who are like coming down the rafters, trying to trying to get at us. And while all of this is happening, somebody who I didn't even realize was there came up behind Asterion and pushed him down off of the rafters into a pit filled with giant spiders. And going from this, like, I think I got it this time because I died many times on this combat already. But going from like, I think I got it this time to now three of my guys are hanging out on top of the rafters and anytime it's a starian's turn i have to like figure out how he's gonna fight three giant spiders and also (laughs) another guy who i pushed down there earlier all by himself horrifying horrifying shit and those are the moments where i'm like when i get good at this that moment's going to be thrilling instead of anxiety inducing. Also, you know, know, I know exactly where you were. And in that battle, I hid and sneaked behind and were on the rafters. And then my character fell into the pit with the spiders because I had animal handling. I convinced them all to eat all the goblins in the other room. No way. I opened the door and they just all swarm in. Oh my God. That's so cool. Like that's what, and that's kind of why I think these games benefit from like either repeated playthroughs or just conversations like this. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, that, that's going to inspire me to like think about it as another scenario totally differently. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really happy you're wor- it's working for you this time or like this type of game is, is like landing for you. Cause I've also struggled with them. Like as much as I like Divinity a lot the second time, this is still like working for me way better. Yeah. And, and, and like every way possible. Yeah. I, ju- I just think they nailed it this time. You know, I think it's a case yeah. of, you know, like, like, uh, supersonic rocket powered awesome battle cars or whatever <laughs> to rocket league and like remnant from the ashes to remnant Two. i think this is like larian fully figuring it out having the budget to see their vision through completely finally getting the wizards of the coast dungeons and dragons license to, that they can play around in which they clearly wanted to be doing like it just feels like the stars aligned for larian to really kind of make their mark on this genre finally and they totally did i mean this this is now Already, I think on PC for PC players, this is like a landmark game. But I do think when it hits console, it's going to set a new standard for what role playing games can oh, yeah. be for a lot of people. Yeah. 
and thankfully there's cross saves. I will say like I've been enjoying playing it on the Steam Deck, but it does take some finagling to get it to like run well. Yeah. Uh I'm gonna get it on PS5 again. And thankfully I can just take my save and take it there. Yeah. There's also a whole multiplayer component that I'd love to experience with you at some yeah, point. Yeah, I can't even imagine what that is like. So <laughs> like in Remnant 2, at any moment you can just drop into somebody else's game and just play alongside them and like continue their campaign. I, it just sounds so chaotic. Like, yeah, I can't yeah. even I, imagine I, I how that works. I feel like I would probably want to start a new campaign. That's like, okay, it's like the two of us from the beginning. Because mm. like, I, I had a friend who wanted to play last night. I'm like, I'm like in the thick of something crazy right now. The <laughs> idea that that my monk, my dragonborn monk Lester, would just like stop and go into another realm is unthinkable. Yeah, but yeah, I I, I do want to experience that before the year is over because it just sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, maybe uh maybe when it hits PS5, we should do that. I, Make a new character. I feel like that yeah. would be good. Um, yeah, because I mean, even I'm I'm enjoying playing it on the Steam Deck. Like it's it's I I've gotten it to a point where I think it's running pretty well, but it definitely too, is taking yeah. a pretty big hit like graphically, and also it, the Steam Deck battery only lasts like an hour to an hour and a half. So I'm like pretty much like tethered to a wall outlet whenever I'm playing Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> and it also, I think I think what I said to you was it sounds like it, it sounds like one of those fans they use to test how aerodynamic cars are whenever I open the <laughs> game. Which like it's just it's it's clear that like y- actually I think as of yesterday it's like confirmed verified for the Steam Deck. So it has like the green check mark now. And I I just don't think that that's true. Like I don't think it's been optimized for the Steam Deck in a way that makes me feel like I could fully recommend that to everybody. What I am excited yeah. about though, is when it launches on Mac, because I think playing it on like my M2 MacBook air is going to be really good. At the end of the day, it's like made for mouse and keyboard in mind. Although I do really like the radial dials. I think that actually is a great way to organize. I legitimately like yeah. the the control scheme. I think, I think it is more intuitive than I was expecting initially. Um, I, I thought that I was going to eventually wish I was playing with mouse and keyboard and like hook my steam deck dock back up to my computer monitor instead of my TV. And like, really set it up and play that way. And I just haven't felt like I needed to, which I think is, you know, a plus for uh, whoever designed that control scheme over at Larian. Yeah. Like, shout out to them. I also think like I, I, when I was streaming it, I was playing with the PS4 remote and I think that like the Steam Deck recognized that as like a keyboard basically. So I had, yeah, it was like, interesting. Yeah you, yeah. you had the UI of mouse and keyboard, which was confusing to me because you kept saying you were using the DualShock controller. And I was like, this is interesting. Yeah. And then when I switched to, handheld it was the radial dials which i preferred pretty strongly because yeah. it also showed me like more of my options like i forgot that as a dragonborn i had fire breath or as a gold dragonborn excuse uh-huh. me and i think too the character creator is like totally wild in a good way yeah. like you can like even just choosing what type of dragonborn i am there were like 12 different shades of golden dragonborn so like I have like a gold and green hue, but there were like many, many others, yeah. which is so cool. And like, I think a lot, I think honestly, just the character creator is a selling point for a lot of people. Cause like you can just make so many and it's making me want to play D and D as this character. Like I want to almost do the flip of it. Oh, that's fine. Um, I also, one other thing too, just as someone who loves fifth edition, it's really exciting and kind of a nerdy way to see like how certain spells are animated because like mm. you know some mo- like eldritch blast guiding bolts like sacred flame these are all spells i've heard my friends say like i use this yeah. and i can just imagine it but like actually see like and the coolest shit ever as a monk you have an ability called deflect missiles where you can just throw a projectile back at the enemy <laughs> 
Um, and like seeing my my dragonborn like grab an arrow and just throw it back at a goblin and oh, they so fall cool. off where they're firing. I'm like, this is the sickest shit ever. Yeah. Yeah, Asterian, um, I, I have specced out as an arcane trickster, which is um, oh nice. Last time I played D and D was my uh, class, and it similarly has been so cool to be like, oh shit, I know exactly. Like I'm actually having a better time playing as Asterian sometimes than I am as my my player character, specifically because I like know how the arcane trickster works really well, um, which is fun. Yeah, I think that's actually a good point of like play the character you would normally play in like a D and D game because you'll you'll kind of have that vocabulary for it yeah. in a better way. Yeah. Yeah, and also like, even if you're if you're playing as a unique character, anytime you can switch to the other party members and play as them, like in that moment. Yeah. So like, there was a book I found in like a dead language that was like locked by a magic lock, and I was like, I wonder who should look at this. <laughs> I switched to Gale immediately, and he unlocked it and like learned to spell from it. I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. So I like that you still have that flexibility. Yeah, I I. I accidentally had switched to gale for a couple like important plot beats which i thought was very funny to just like go from my very like persuasion heavy intimidation heavy player character to gale who is like like drunk warlock jack sparrow almost um <laughs> who just like completely fucked up every single every single saving throw i had in that dialogue it was it was amazing how do you how do you like gale as a character I feel like he's he's kind of divisive in the Discord. I've noticed. Oh, really? I think I, I mean, yeah. so far he's interesting. I haven't I haven't seen that much of him outside of like the stuff where he needs to eat my magic items. Uh, yeah, which I honestly think is hilarious. But yeah, I, I haven't I haven't learned enough about him to really have a feeling either way. I, I like I, what I've I really seen so like far. him. Yeah, he I I he like loves Lester. So like he's like, well, you can kind of actually if you switch to other characters in the character sheet, you can see what their affinity for you is. Oh. And his that. is very high for Lester because he, he's like also one of the more like good characters. Yeah. Like if you help people, he'll be like into right. it. But like his his voice actor is really good. I mean, every voice actor in the main cast is just incredible. But like I think Gale comes off like that Jack Sparrow character. But the moments where he like is way more vulnerable or is like angry there. Like there's a I won't spoil what it is, but there's a way you can handle the tiefling village in like a very horrific way. Mm. And there's a scene with him at camp kind of reckoning with your decision. And he refers to his fingers. He's like these things that once like weaved magic so beautifully are now like stumps meant for nothing, but like blood and tears. Like it's like, wow, really All right, powerful yeah. to see a character kind of reduced to like a shadow of himself based on your actions, yeah. you know? And there's some like some characters will just straight up leave if you do certain things, which I think is also effective. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll be interested to see if anybody just bails out of my party at the moment. The th the thing about playing the paladin role, at least the one that I have been doing at the moment, who also again very heavy in persuasion, means that like in most situations, even if somebody is mad at me about a choice I've made, I can just talk to them at camp and then like convince them to hang out. Um, yeah, which honestly is great. Again, I just am I I am thrilled to finally be able to play a game where I can play as a persuasion heavy character and have that like mean something and be yes. totally viable. Like I I have definitely talked my way out of a lot of combat scenarios. Even this goblin camp that you and I were just talking about, I essentially infiltrated the entire goblin camp and they like loved me. They like loved me <laughs> at the goblin camp and they were like they wanted me to hang out. And the whole thing is you're supposed to like or one of the things that you can do is is go and you can take out like three of the lords in this goblin camp and i was at the point where i was like accepting quests from these lords because like we were just like buds i mean that's one path yeah yeah, yeah which uh was fun oh but everybody hated that to be clear everybody in my party was like why the fuck are we here 
we were supposed to kill these guys and now we're taking on quests from them and and my whole thing like i, I just had dialogue with them where i was like don't worry about it i'm obviously going to stab them in the back <laughs> <laughs> but i think what's also what what's a nice uh tip is that like if you have a party member that like disapproves of everything you do if you leave them at camp you can just like avoid that loss yeah. which is helpful for like astarian specifically because i feel like he and i got pretty close and i'm like that's just like i know i'm going to disappoint you <laughs> by like helping out a gnome at some point so i'm just going to leave you at camp and you can stew on whatever you're working through yeah and i'm going to bring like the three somewhat normal people with me <laughs> um, <laughs> but like it's also like even if they are left at camp like will i don't use very much but i did without saying too much getting carlac is kind of his personal quest mm. or is like a, a possible outcome of his personal quest and what happened after is like totally wild and has developed will in a very interesting way for me and that all happened at camp. Yeah. You know, that yeah. was all just like checking in with the characters. So I feel like the game does a good job making the characters feel like they're still with you, even if, even if you're not using them. Yeah. Which is, which is a pretty hard thing to pull off, I That's think. That's interesting. I, my, my thing about Baldur's Gate 3 right now is I, I think that if I tried to do with Baldur's Gate 3 what I tried to do with Divinity Original Sin 2, based on our conversation about it and like go back to it knowing more about how to play that game, I think I would have a, I think I would have better odds at settling more into it if I rolled a new character right now, Baldur's Gate 3, than, than I did in all the times I've tried to do that with Divinity. Um, and I, I'm kind of feeling that way because I, I also, one of the things about the Paladin is that when you're creating a Paladin, you have to choose an oath that you take. There are a bunch of different yeah. oaths. Like one of them is like straight up, like I am, I'm a, you know, a walking, talking judicial system, baby. Uh, there's another <laughs> one that's like, I'm going to heal everybody. I'm going to help everybody. Like all, all creatures are worth, you know, life and whatever. I forget what the third one is, but I, I picked the one that wanted to be a healer specifically because it came with a healing spell. And I was like, that's probably useful to have a healing spell at the beginning of the game. It is. There are very few characters who can heal. I feel like yeah. everyone uses a shadow heart. And, and then I killed somebody almost immediately. And, and uh, I had like a, a whispering voice in my ear that was like, you done fucked up my guy. And then, and then as soon as I went to sleep and went to the camp, there was like a demon that was so upset with me. And it was like, you're an Oathbreaker and I'm an Oathbreaker too. And let me tell you the tale of Oathbreakers. I was like, I didn't realize that I needed to follow that oath at all. So going very quickly from like, I'm enjoying my paladin to like, oh, I fucked up my paladin irreparably. And uh, now a lot of my paladin skills don't work and I'm acquiring new weird ones because I'm an Oathbreaker, which is cool in its own right. But I kind of wish I'd chosen to do that you know? Sure. Um, right. And, and I yeah. know that's a give and take of like D and D in a lot of ways is like, you know, the unexpected consequences of your actions is like a huge part of why people play D and D in the first place. But I am getting to a point now where I'm like, I know a little bit more about how I want to play Baldur's Gate three. And I'm thinking about making a new character. So I, th I think I might do that yeah. and I'll report back on how that goes. What do you, what do you think you're going to make? What's calling to you? I'm, I might go, I might go rogue so I can yeah. uh, go a little bit more arcane trickster. Uh, I, I have been hearing a lot about the serial killer class that they included, which oh. is, God, so funny the, um, to me i'm not gonna yeah, do there's it there's a background yeah. yeah there's a background that makes your character like have murderous impulses yes. like constantly yeah the, the yeah. implication is that they were a serial killer wherever they came from uh and and from what i have heard and seen online like almost every single dialogue option includes an option to just kill the person that you're talking to which is horrifying yeah i feel like that's meant for like your third playthrough. yeah you or know, like, like the last playthrough you ever do yeah, yeah. right Right. But either way, I, I don't know. I'm 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 enjoying the game a lot, uh, a lot more than I was expecting. I was excited about it, but I didn't I didn't think I was going to click with it as much as I have. I, I think the big frustration point for me really is just the Steam Deck of it all. I just think like if if the game could be downloaded 
onto the Steam Deck and immediately work out of the box, you know, the way the green check implies, I would feel a lot better about it. I know I've actually, speaking of Remnant 2, I've heard a lot about Remnant 2 as well, which is a game that's like not not verified on the Steam Deck, but I think has the orange like playable checkbox, but like doesn't run very well on the Steam Deck, unfortunately. And I, I feel like the like verified to playable Steam Deck mark is starting to mean less over time as even though like the Steam Deck is still pretty new. I, th- I still think it's like old enough that newer games are starting to have a hard time running on it. Yeah, Proton DB I find is more reliable yes. in terms of like how does this actually work? And if you go on Proton DB right now and look at Baldur's Gate 3, most people are unhappy. Uh which is interesting because I'm I'm still like I'm doing all right with it. It just eats through the battery, but there are a lot of yeah. people that like can't even get the game to run. I will say the best thing to do is like follow the steps outlined to skip the launcher entirely. Yeah. Uh put it on 40 frames per second and then turn off uh there's one like kind of mess around in the video options and there's one like whatever the option that's like this is a cutting edge technology turn that off it will make the game blurry on steam deck and since i've done that it's been like totally fine yeah i, I, but I, I have it running yeah. at 30 frames per second which is helpful and i think it's 720p and whatever that thing is fsr which is like the yeah that's what it is uh, oh no, no no turn that on turn that up to ultra quality and that helps a lot oh really i just have it off and it looks way yeah, better okay. i don't maybe i just had different things going maybe. on maybe yeah uh but um yeah like i for a reason like when i kept restarting it would either be like super pixelated or blurry until i turned that mm, off interesting but again that's case in point like it's it's kind of it's unreliable. weird that you and i have the exact same machine and and that setting either helps or hurts yeah that that's not yeah, how it should work exactly so i think it sounds like like this coming out on ps5 next month new character might be like the moment for you for this yeah, game yeah uh, but I, I'm still going to like probably play it right after we're done recording. Yeah, <laughs> me too. But I think this will be something we talk about again. I, I'd like to talk more about like what's actually happening. Cause I think that's about as much as I can say without spoiling too yeah. much. I'm ju- I'm just excited to get out of this early area. Cause like I can tell already that like the ship crash and then, you know, assembling the party going and dealing with like the tiefling and druid area and this goblin camp, like all of this is like tutorialization for just, the amount of possibilities and, and and the amount of stuff that Baldur's Gate 3 has on offer. I'm more excited about the next thing that happens after that. Like I'm more excited about like main plot start to like go into cities, taking on a bunch of side quests and really like choosing my own adventure instead of being on what is the most railroaded version of what is supposed to be the most open game possible. You know what I mean? Yeah, there there is a lot to do in that area, though. Like if you explore and you kind of do some of the more like side quests, like yeah. There is a lot of of benefit in that, but I know what you mean, and I, I've already like I I just got to like the next big area. You're actually given a choice, so like it does start to branch out in that way. Like once you once you've resolved that, there are they basically say like you can go this way or that way. Great, and uh, that area is truly wild. Like it, it really feels like moments of Elden Ring where you're kind of reminded why we say fantasy. It has that feeling to Great. it. So I'm very excited for you. Wow, yeah, Baldur's Gate three. Baldur's Gate 3, it will, it will come up again for sure. Um, I think that's going to be it for us, though. I actually forgot we were recording halfway through that <laughs> section. Uh, believe it or not, we'll be back next week with even more video games. <laughs> just just Clive and Pac-Man. <laughs> Clive, Pac-Man, and Remnant 2. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, also, welcome to the show if you're like a new listener from the Dreamcast episode. Thanks for checking us out again. Into the Cast.online is our hub for everything. If you like the show, you can recommend it to a friend. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you really like the show, you can back us on Patreon. Uh, links to the links to the Patreon are also at Into the Cast.online. 
Um, we have a weekly show called Any Percent where we're given a topic that we address in 10 minutes or less. And that comes out every Monday. And we also do like patron exclusive episodes every so often um, about stuff that's like maybe a little bit more outside the normal scope of the show. Like our last one was a, a conversation about game design between myself and our friend Alana. That was a lot of fun. So stuff like that you'll see on the Patreon. Yeah. And that's basically it. Brendan, where can people find you on the internet? Increasingly it's a weird increasingly question. Increasingly difficult question. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, maybe I'll just say go to brendanbigley.com um, or if you want to follow me on a social platform, I think weirdly the best one right now is threads. So I would say threads.net slash at Brendan Bigley. Yeah, you can find me in a variety of places at either Stephen Hilger or Stephen Hilger Art uh, and also StephenHilgerArt.com. Yeah. But yeah, I don't want to plug X. You no, know? I'm never going to plug X. <laughs> Fuck X. <laughs> it looks like a like a shitty flavor of Axe deodorant. I was you know? saying if, like it, it feels the... like an app that you would use to book a private flight where you just dump oil <laughs> into the Atlantic. Do you want to like basically uberify Shinra practices? Yeah. That's what X. Is do you want to do you want to bring a leopard into your home so you can shoot it instead of you know traveling <laughs> oh all the way to Africa to go be a poacher? <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, fuck X. Thank you for listening, <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for bye bye uh, us. See ya. See ya.